Welcome to Moralia Python Radio with your hosts, Eric Burke and Owen McIntyre. <laughs> Hello, welcome to another episode of Moralia Python Radio, episode number 460. Oh, and we are only... That's it? Just 460? There's no, like, 61? No, 460? 460. Episode 460. Sweet. Yes. And in this okay. episode, we are going to be talking rainbow boas with our good friend Riley Jimson. Um, when I was a kid, I saw them in a reptile book, and man, I said, I have to have them one day. And uh, hopefully I, I uh, can work with Maybe them. Maybe this year? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I've always been fascinated by them. Super, they're beautiful snakes, iridescence. I think the humidity was always something that sort of you know, uh, made me think that I wasn't able to keep them. But we're going to talk all about all that stuff with Riley. Um, and uh, we're going to talk about, um, you should check out his YouTube video that he just posted up um, of the female that uh, was given birth. And uh, he's got really, really cool uh, footage of, um, of just, just different observations. Uh, but we'll get into that They're as well. <laughs> They're mean after just being born. <laughs> yeah. And I think I think they're that they're, they're a perfect species for carpet python lovers that want to make the the jump to something a little bit different. I think that this sort of fits that niche. Yeah. Is that right. <laughs> no. Uh, oh. Uh, perfectly. I think I think this is a good animal that you know it's going to give you a little something different uh something that uh you know uh is going to be different than a carpet but uh you know somewhere right in that you know that uh niche it's in the range and also <laughs> they can fit a lot into the same kind of caging and stuff like that which is always helpful so uh yeah it's something that if you were kind of interested in you could go and have fun with it, not have to change it around your room completely. Right. So, yeah. So we're excited to uh, to be talking about that. But before we jump in with Riley, we're going to talk a little bit about some housekeeping things. Um, okay. The 2021 Morelia Python calendar will be starting up for submissions on August 1st and run until August mm -hmm. 31st. Uh, so stay tuned for more details with that, uh, where, to, where to post it up and, uh, and all that. But uh, for people that are new to the show and don't know, every year since, I don't know when, Owen? Uh, I don't, why, 2014, maybe? No, we did. It was a first, it must have been 20, when did we start the show? 10? 2011. I think it was, I think we started like 2012, 2013 with it. Hmm. I want to say. Probably. No, yeah. no one me. Oh, it was yeah. one of our first times we, we messed up somewhere there, one. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So we're but, getting, a, getting a jump on it. I had the alert on my phone. I promised you guys that uh, I think we put I the alert on your phone year, in, so. on air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the alert came up and popped up as me and Owen were doing carpet cliff notes, and it said, you idiot, start the calendar. <laughs> so there you go. So, so um, we'll announce that one. Obviously, we'll have the categories listed for you guys. I think last year we did um, wild animal or wild reptile. Yep. Uh, so this year I will probably try to figure out a different type of category. Yes. Um, this is all Owen. This is where he yep. gets the shine. I either might do venomous or I might do something else. I don't know yet. Venomous, so you know, I don't know, man. Carlos, with some of the pictures that he has, I mean, that dude is knocking it out of the park with the pictures. Yeah, I know. I mean, shit. I might do that. So we'll put that out there. Um, we'll think about what, what that final category is going to be. And then uh, we'll post it up. Obviously, you'll 
you know, we'll have instructions of how you can submit the pictures. You need to go ahead and join the uh, Morelia Pick of the Week or the Morelia, uh, the NPR community page on Facebook yep. so that you can submit the uh, points. You can submit your pictures there. Um, we'll go over the rules. Obviously, it's still one animal per entry. So if you're going to submit an animal for entry, submit one picture. Do not send us 15 pictures of the same animal. Um <laughs> Because then you flip them and their heads turn like this. It, it, I, that happens. <laughs> flip like, the pictures, it, like, you know, you're the worst offenders for this chondro people. So I'm like 15 pictures of the same oh, damn animal sitting damn on a stick. Green like, I mean, snake come on. stick people. <laughs> it, it, it didn't look any different. Just it didn't move. So, yeah, it's obviously the also no cage pictures. We want you guys to do it either in the photo tent or outside and make it look nice. And these are going to be in a calendar so they should be calendar quality photos you holding the animal and taking a picture on your phone you probably won't make it through the first round um we'll go through and we're going to decide uh the categories and we'll announce on air uh if you are lucky enough you'll win morelia of the year which means that you will help us pick the winners for the next year Right. Um, and then we kind of send you something, right? Also, if you're a winner for the categories, you get a free calendar uh, to have. And uh, we'll see how that one goes. So get yeah. your pictures ready now. Right. So stay tuned for that. So it's pretty cool. And, uh, yeah, we always have fun with that. So we want to get a jump on it so we have it. And uh, Last category might be Boas because then I can box Riley into one category where he can't, like, <laughs> like he does every freaking year. Yeah. It's like, Riley and like going through the final categories, Riley's in this one. Son of a bitch. He always wins one shot. Yeah, I'm like, like he, <laughs> Thanks, man. he can't be in Bolanai, son of a bitch. Like, it's like, yeah, so, uh -huh. so uh, also the animals have to be yours. If they're not yours, they could be a friend of yours, but you have to have taken the picture. You cannot submit for a friend of yours. So, yeah. yeah. No, you mean the opposite, Owen. If you have somebody take the pictures, you can have you can submit it, but it has to be your it has, animal. You have to talk to the animal. <laughs> yeah. Okay, either you own the animal or you took the picture. Right. Okay, so yeah, um, yeah. So so there's that. The other thing uh, we started, and I didn't ask Owen about this, so because he usually tells me no. But um, <laughs> you've done something on our you've Instagram and our Facebook now? page. Um, I started a thing called Snake of the Day, and um, the idea is is that we're just going to pick a species uh, from all different types. Uh, every every type of species is game. And just a little natural history about it. And, um, yeah, we hope that uh, this, uh, you know, will educate people about snakes and, you know, some of the more obscure species, if you will, um, that's out there. Like, on my list is, although it's not uh, obscure to us, Owen, a DK snake. Mm -hmm. You know? What do you case. know about a DK snake? A DK snake. DK, it, that DK. they're outside. Yeah. That they're out there. Yeah, they're all over that the place, that, right? that I'll step on one at some point. Right. Um, but, but tell me, as a kid growing up in Pennsylvania... That that was probably not one of the first snakes that you, you either gotta remember, saw was, or messed you with. Gotta remember, I was not into snakes till college, dude. I was terrified of them. Oh, that's right. So that that Loser. was that was <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> so that was probably my nightmare. But you know, but when um, you were in I'll, college, I'm sure you saw DK. Oh yeah. Snake. yeah oh yeah. yeah. Well, you had to go. We had that was part of. Actually, was the funniest thing is part of my herpetology class. We had to go out and find snakes. So we're in a group, and there, there were people that were really interested in reptiles taking this course, and then there were people that had to fulfill a scientific credit 
on their major for sports management that were in this course. Right. And I'm in a group and I'm with one of those people that really didn't want to be there. And we're flipping over logs and we flip over and there was a baby decay snake. And it was just like, ah, like, you know, popped up. Right. And he had a butterfly net and he starts swinging the net down. But it's a net, so it's a giant circle. So he keeps, he keeps like putting it over top of the snake and then lifting it up. So there's a circle forming around the snake of the grass that he's beating down. Oh, but the snake is still coiled, like with its mouth open, like what the hell is like <laughs> just, just constantly swinging and screaming. Oh my god! And then I walk over and I just scoop it up and I'm just like, thank God you got me out of that. <laughs> it was just. Oh like, man. Oh yeah. Oh wow. So, All right. I love that you took a herpetology class, man. I, 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 I did. Pretty, pretty it goddamn was, cool. Spent a lot of time on frogs. Oh, yeah. Well, that's kind of maybe where you're... Well, frogs are cool, but... You think literally, we had to listen to CDs of their calls so that we can identify them for class. Oh, yeah? Huh? Yep. The you. only one that's stuck... What, and the problem is that, like, the nomenclature got into your head. Uh-huh. Like, the Valor code is Rufo or How's I Valori. And then it's not that anymore. They changed it. <laughs> Damn it. And it's just ingrained in my brain. Anyway. You can't let go of it. It's like Condro. Can't let go of it, man. You hold can't, it on tight. Can't. Anyway. Um, so, yeah. So that's something new that we're starting. Um, and uh, we have another thing on the horizon, but uh, not uh, ready to. What else are you uh, doing to, to me? About that. Yeah. I now have to figure out snake facts every day now. Well, I, dude, I have a month ready to go. So. I waited. I accumulated a month's worth of you them. Keep accumulating. Just yeah. keep going. Yeah. <laughs> so don't, don't stop now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't worry. Um, so uh, and um, another cool product that I came across, which I thought was pretty cool for people. But um, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, this is pretty cool. So I want to give a shout out to um, it, the company's called uh, Cloud Forest. Um, the website is cloudforest.design. And they have these, which I'm showing on the video, these like little <laughs> little placards yeah, <laughs> that you can put on the cage that tells the species, gives a little range map there. Um, it talks about uh, their habitat um, and breeding. How and, vulnerable they are. They're endangered. How vulnerable endangered. they are. Yeah. It's a plaque you get at a zoo. It's the rocker you see at the zoo that they yeah. put in there. It's fed Yeah. Oh, they, Jesus. They, they, <laughs> you know, I, I bought a bunch for the diamond pythons. Um, the only criticism I have about the diamond pythons is it's kind of the they're range map, as you can see <laughs> on, the, on the thing. It's kind of wrong because it's all of Australia. With yeah, but there's a little bit of... Right down here somewhere. Yeah, but they're, it's all of Australia, but then there's a little green dot on... Although I thought for a minute, yeah. at first I thought, well, maybe they mean just... Boy, they reverse part. it. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? But no, what? but then they, they, well, they have all of Indonesia. Papua New Guinea is white too, so that rules that <laughs> out. But, uh, are there diamond pythons in New Guinea? No, 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 no. So, but all in all, it's uh, it's a cool little thing, you know. I mean, if you have like some really nice display cages, I think this will be a nice uh, little added uh, thing. I've been wanting. I've been looking on this website, and I almost hit the button on the rhino cage. Yeah. Uh, one, just because I have for the for the rhinos downstairs because that tank's almost finished, but. Um, yeah, I almost did it. And I'm sure if you get in touch with the guy and, and there's not a species on there, I, I think it would be pretty easy for them to sort of, you know, make one up. You know? I mean, Riley, I, I, stop playing with spiders. This is Morelia Python <laughs> Radio. 
<laughs> we can see you now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> forgot about that. Yeah, <laughs> it's not like the Jeez. old days. Right. So, uh, so yeah, check that out. Um, yeah, if you want, uh, yeah, something cool. So, um, yeah, that's all I got. So let's get into some rainbow. Oh, do you got anything, Owen? I didn't even. No, know. I think we should just probably. Inter- <laughs> oh, I think we should just probably re. re-, re- God damn. We do should it. introduce Don't Riley. talk about Shut it. Do it. <laughs> Riley, welcome back. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks what? for having me back. Dollar intro. Jesus. What? <laughs> oh. So we're going to talk In- about rainbow boas. It's a Riley show because we all got on here and he's like, we're not drinking. And then we had to run and get beer before we started. Yeah. So, you know, it, I don't have my carpet fest stein filled up. Little, yeah. I love this like camera thing. I can show stuff of what's going on. Cool. Like, yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's get back on track. Rainbow Boas. Uh, so I, I would start with this question, Riley. What got you into rainbow boas? What drew you to them? What's, what's your fascination with them? I mean, in the same way that you were captivated the first time you saw one, it was, you know, first time I saw one, I was like, okay, that. Um, I remember specifically when I saw one, um, it was probably around 2013, maybe 2012, and I was just getting started as a keeper after being a volunteer uh, down in Santa Barbara, and I had sort of just gone down the rabbit hole, just like parachuted off a cliff. Like I'm going down (laughs) everything that I can grab along the way. And so like I was obsessed with everything I could get my hands on. So every piece of content, YouTube, whatever it was, I was like, I'm watching, I'm watching, I'm learning, I'm soaking it all up. And I remember the first photograph I saw of Brazilian rainbow boa um, that a friend of mine who was living in the area at the time posted on Facebook or something like that. And it was produced by Dave Calling at Rainbows R Us. And this thing was just blood red, rainbow iridescence for days, just beautiful, like, eye spots on the side, and just this really tight pose with that head that tapers down to the the sort of riveted, like, the heat pits in the face. Just this nice, beautiful taper with these really black tones around the eyes. And it was just a really intense but beautiful animal. And I was just absolutely enamored with that and I, was, I had to know what it was and learn about it and fortunately he was you know 20 minutes down the road and he was into carpets so that's why we were you know on a good level like we connected over carpet pythons in the southern california shows and so i went over to his place and uh, checked out his collection and he had you know a few different normals and hypos and things like that but um I, I, every time i went over there i was just like glued to his cages of the rainbows like <laughs> Oh, these are amazing. And anytime I take them out, they were like, what is going on? And they're looking at you and they're turning, trying to figure out if they want to hit you in the face or if the arm is easier. And they're just like, not really sure what's going on. But the whole time, because you've got them out during the daytime, which is why they're like kind of confused. The iridescence from the light is just, you're just so blinded. They could be biting you and you're just like, okay. Okay. they fire uh, up too, right? Like, are they brighter at certain moments and stuff yeah, like that? Okay. Yeah, and some of them do this thing called white walling at night where they'll be solid color, like red and orange or whatever, and then at night, all of a sudden, their flanks behind the pattern, completely white. Wow. Just all the way up to, you know, like in a Papua and Python, how they're two-toned, like so there's the green. a dark. Yeah. So that line that's lateral, imagine if everything on a rainbow up to theirs went ghostly white but like still had the eye spots on the side where it would normally be red 
Oh, wow. It's only at night, and it's called white walling. And it's the first time it happens, it usually freaks keepers out. They're like, <laughs> "Wow, it's that dramatic!" Yeah, what happened? Yeah, it's yeah, crazy. absolutely. You'll have a blood red animal during the day, and you check on it at night, and the thing's white, like somebody did did bleach. Um, and it, it's pretty profound. Um, some animals do it more than others, but yeah, after I saw his during the day. And seeing the white walling, seeing at night, I immediately went to a super show uh, down in Pomona, and that was the second snake I ever purchased or owned. My first being a cow king when I was a kid, and then, yeah, so my first, like, dive into sort of this level of a private uh, keeping and breeding initiative. I was like, those, I need those. I want those in my life. And then I went Krebos and then I found carpets. So yeah. Yeah. naturally, right? Yeah. yeah that, that's a good progression. Yeah. So yeah, I just got my first corn snake the other day. So I think I've been doing this whole thing backwards. Yeah. You went a different route. That was, that was, that was different. I got a question. What do you guys think is the reasoning? I know, like, why do snakes do that? Why, why, why? I mean, do you think it's like temperature related or do you think it's a, a hormonal thing or? I think it's uh camouflage. I think it's more camouflage related and it has to do with lunar cycles. I think it's more of a moon lit sort of driven thing because they're at the bottom of a like a forested leafy <laughs> jungle area. Right. So they're in all these leaves and the reds and the browns of, of the earth sort of cover them really well, especially with all the black lines on their dorsal pattern that helps break up their outline. They'll blend in with that sort of red-brown nature really well. But at night, because of all the iridescence, it can kind of give them away. Mm -hmm. And I think having a white wall where, like, the moon dapples in through, like, the bits of the canopy is kind of similar to, like, having a pattern that breaks up the outline because if you see like if an animal that's a predator is looking around for something to eat on the ground floor and it's seeing dapples of moonlight and dark shadow through uh the rainforest floor your your best bet for camouflage is either pitch black or the moonlight white and i think they do both of those at that time so the moonlight sort of white walling allows them to blend in with those rays of the moonlight that might be peeking through the canopy that's the only thing i can think of because white as we know is regarded as something that's detrimental to something such as like an albino something yeah. that's very brightly colored stands out and tends to stand a greater chance of predation um so the only thing I can think of is that it has to do with something with the moonlight because these animals, they're not quite fossorial. They definitely like to live under like substrate and leaf litter and things and blend in with earth tones on the ground. And if they're coming out at night and they're hunting at night, then their camouflage needs to, to be most effective in the evening, right? So um, that's my only thought. Yeah, I guess that kind of it makes sense. sense. Owen just sent you know, a it's... picture of that. Yeah, I did yeah. white walling and it showed up. Yeah, yep. so. yeah. So if you look at that animal during the day, none of that white is there. There might be some on the belly scales, but otherwise, that's it. That is wild. That's insane. So mm -hmm. that's that's nuts. I would have never figured that. So, I mean, obviously their colors are fluid and that kind of stuff. So you can open it up and they'll be changing and stuff like that. But. Um, and there are different types of morphs and other things like that as well. So this white walling is a complete, it's not a morph, but 
Do some do it more than others? I mean, yeah, and I, you know, now that you put it in that context, I'd really be curious to see if there is some sort of heritability correlation to it because i've seen people talk about how their animal doesn't do that or they've never seen it in their animal they've had it for years um i think at least all of the offspring that i've been holding back to it i would you know i'll have to look at watch my adults tonight i'm pretty sure my my big breeder male does it um but yeah i don't know if it's an across the board thing or if it's it's probably something that they could all do, but if they feel the need to do it, you know, it's. Yeah, I'd be curious how much of it is uh, is like seasonal or like consciously decided reactive. upon, or yeah, if it's reactive or if it's even like a locality thing. Because if you look at the range maps, I mean, they're in the Amazon basin, pretty far south, all the way up to like. Costa Rica, dang near like Honduras and everything. They're like up in those top parts of South America. So they have a very, <clears throat> a very broad range. They even hit, you know, you go uh, west and they hit little bits of Peru. So there's even locales referred to as Peruvian rainbow boas, but they are still, uh, you know, genetically the same as the Brazilians and classified the same. So the the terminology Peruvian rainbow boa sort of lost traction after. You know, it was very, very frequently reiterated that they're exactly the same. Now, that's not to say that things might not change later, but for now, it's just sort of like a, a so, locality name. As I say, more likely it's that these things would have a bunch of different localities, but they're all still Brazilian rainbow boas as opposed to Colombian rainbow boas. Yeah, well, see, that's a really interesting thing, too, because I, I would venture to guess that if somebody were to devote their career and study at a university to the Epicrates genus and went after the different five subspecies or however many they're classifying now, six, maybe, I don't know. I don't know what's most current. Um, I bet you they would find that where we stand currently is incorrect and that... Uh, some of them are full species different just because the climate is different. There's Argentinian ones that are like, they're, they're pretty close to Argentina. Um, and that's a completely different climate. I mean, the Argentinian boas live in different climates. The ones that are further south are different. And if you just look at uh, emerald tree boas, the division between northerns and basins, they're full species different. So, you know, if they're experiencing different climates in such a similar layout in that way, and those ones are speciated, but these ones are not, does that mean we just haven't done something or we haven't done enough work? And I, I would venture to guess that if somebody were to put some effort into it, they'd find that you know there's some reclassification that could be done. And because uh, it's not so much a like a pattern or a, because there are different looks to like. Uh, the Colombians and the Brazilians and some of the more West Coast ones. Um, but I think they are different. I think if somebody were to do scale counts, they'd find that there's probably not, maybe not full species, but at least some further subspeciation that could go on. I don't know. They're just very different, and the, the way they behave is different, in my opinion. So, Is there yeah. any, like, it's another... Sim oh, go ahead, Owen. I'm just saying it's another NPR research study that we have to send <laughs> Riley on. So I need to sign me up. Get, get, get going. Yeah, yeah, let us know how it works. No, I was going to ask, is there any areas where they overlap? 
where, say, you know, some of these subspecies overlap, similar to what we see yeah, in carpet in, pythons. Integrate zone. Yeah, yeah, I would I would suggest that it there's a lot of integrate zones. Brazilians, dude, right now as we classified, if you look at a range map of Brazilian rainbow boas, they go all the way up into freaking Costa Rica. They hit Central America and then they overlap Colombia and Venezuela and all these areas where we also see the Colombian rainbow boas, Picardies Morris. Um or I don't know, are they Morris or so, Central Morris? Anyway, so naming yeah. them the Brazilian Rainbow Boa was a little bit of an undershot here. And they should just be called like yeah. the Rainbow Boa, like you know. Yeah, I mean, they, what they should really do is figure out, and this is like, well, they should just go do this. It's a pretty yeah. large undertaking, right? It's gonna take yeah. a few people's lifetimes of, of work to do it, but you know, in an ideal world, somebody would go and look at everything that we've always looked at as Epicrates and some of the other surrounding boas, reclassify what needs to be reclassified. You know, the folks that just did uh, Vin Russo's new book, maybe they'll you know, tag that on later on or something, but they're not, you know, true red tails or anything. So, um, but yeah, I would venture to guess that they could do some work in, you know, the, the term Brazilian rainbow boa is such a vague term. Um, that's like saying carpet python. You know, right. it's probably yeah. they probably got that name, I would think, in the hobby, probably just because that's how they came in, you know? Yeah. You know, yeah. In the 80s and 90s, they were imported in mass as just Brazilian rainbow bows from a couple, you know, main spots. And, and doesn't that make you think about if somebody had broken it down, would you have the localities drawn out? Like if you see an orange Brazilian, maybe is that because it was its grandparents were near Costa Rica and not Brazil and yeah. uh, to other like, you know, stuff like that. Is it like, could it be that certain colors might mean it's the jumbled mess? Yeah. And it, I think it even goes beyond like some correlation of these colors tend to come from these regions. I would even say like there's a size implication and, um, and probably some few other things. Cause if you think about Central American boas, they're tiny, right? Mm -hmm. uh, rainbow boas, they're supposed to be four to six feet from everything you read, but then you can also dig up accounts, you know, from when importing was pretty common. They're bringing in adult animals well over six feet. And where are they coming from? They're coming from, like, Peru and, and the basin areas. And there was a long-standing argument and discussion and theory that I'm sure some people still stand by today that the Peruvians uh, have a different like amount of black in their dorsal markings. The the like the rings and stuff on their dorsals mm -hmm. are wider and bigger and more blown out mm -hmm. versus some that are a little more like fine lined and things. And you know if you if you spent a day going through every single photograph of any adult rainbow boas that you could find within, you know, say the top 10 collections out there, Dave calling, namely being one, you would see size differences and some certain things, but I don't know, man, I've seen what I would consider a normal size female. And that is not what is in the cage next to me. I have a monster next to me here. <laughs> um, and I just, I don't know. Obviously, she was power fed from her previous owners, and that plays a role in it, of course. But they also have genetic maximums of what they can reach in length. And she exceeds everything that I've ever read. She's six and a half plus. And she's breedable, and she's healthy. So, 
you know, when you say power fed, you assume it's unhealthy, it's fat, and it doesn't know what to do. You just have a big rainbow boa. Yeah, she wasn't. She have seen like we've all seen the quintessential fat animals like when the, the scales goat. point out, like when they roll yeah. out. Yeah, so she scale lay like this. Yeah. <laughs> Because, like, they sit so much. Like, yeah, no, exactly. she didn't yeah. have any of that. She did have a little bit of the part where, like, the instead of the back being round, because these aren't like um, these aren't like the boa constrictors or uh, imperators or any of the red tails where they're, they're not a bread loaf. These are not a bread loaf. These okay. things are supposed to be round with a slight little, you know, tip to them where their spine is. Because a fat rainbow bow will have like the the concavity on top oh, where, like the shoulder yeah. it's almost like a shoulder muscle it's like a fat a fat strap that runs the whole back right. and if that side sort of flank is higher than their spine you have a fat rainbow boa so she had a little bit of that but she didn't have the the jugular like big glut <laughs> uh, she's just a freaking tank dude she's a monster she's just you know, in her prime, full, like, well-fed, not not gravid, just like her normal body position, she's as thick as my forearm. Okay. okay. Damn. So. Um, not a... Yeah, I was going to say, let's, uh, so I think one of the, and like I said at the beginning, one of the things that often comes up a lot when talking about rainbow boas, and we'll get into how you set them up and temps and all that stuff, but I think the biggest thing is probably humidity. Now, when I was watching Dave Kaufman's Are We Keeping Them Correctly video on rainbow boas, I mean, you can see just by looking at him that it's humid as shit there. I mean, and that kind of reminds me of like where we, when we were seeing jungle carpets in, in, in Queensland, you know, and it's like, it, it felt that same way. And, um, um, you know, and this, I think this steers people away. It's, you know, it's, I, maybe I'm wrong, but it just seems like everybody thinks that they need like hundred percent humidity. So maybe you can, you know, maybe talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think your interpretation of the public's perception of them is, is dead on. Um, that's always the right. feedback I get from people is if they, if they're communicating to me and it's usually because they're looking for information or they're like, is this really the case? Am I doing this right? Or, you know, I'm not really sure I'm on the fence. Usually what it comes down to is they've heard about how they're rather challenging with the humidity. And I wouldn't say they're an advanced care animal, but they're definitely not a beginner care, depending on what you define as beginner. I, I think calling them an intermediate sort of species is, is fair because of this humidity. Uh, but I think it changes as the age of the animal progresses. So babies are much more fragile and delicate and prone to desiccation. If you don't have a water bowl in there, they will die in a day. Like, they will die. Um, they don't do well because dry meat, you'll see it too. Like you can see when somebody has it, they're properly hydrating a rainbow bow, their skin wrinkles. Uh, it gets all like ripply, especially in babies. So um, they have very thin skin, much like retics and some of those bigger snakes where it can tear easily. Sure. And, it, okay. and if they're not properly hydrated, you will see that. Um, but yeah, babies, I think, do best in in any sort of environment where you can keep it above 80% almost all the time because when they're that small and they're that fragile, yeah, desiccation, like if a worm is sitting out in the sun, it cooks on the sidewalk sort of thing, that sort of thing is real with them, and you hear it all too often. Um, but adults are a, a lot hardier, um, so it's, it's not as big of a deal as adults, but 
you know, the the most commercially available rack systems that are out there that everybody uses for ball pythons or anything else are fantastic for them because of how low ventilation most rack systems are. And that's right, the, so you can tailor it to that. Yeah, absolutely. That's what okay. it comes down to. And you can do things to make life easier on you. You know, we always talk about how if you put a big water dish in some sort of enclosure, the larger the surface area of the water, the larger surface for evaporation during the heat. So you get a better output of humidity when you're doing that. So you can do things to make it easier. A lot of folks uh, who prefer to keep them on paper will uh, counteract how dry a paper laden environment is by putting a tub in full of damp sphagnum moss and they keep on top of the misting. And, you know, the same thing with leopard geckos, you give them a humid hide, but. Um, White lips. Yeah, exactly. It's the same sort of thing. So there's, there's multiple ways to skin the cat. You can either do like a paper bedding and do a humid hide with a large water bowl or you can keep them on a particulate bedding that doesn't mold, holds humidity really well, is very favorable for spraying down, and give them a good solid layer of that, a couple inches of some particulate bedding and a good water bowl, and uh, they'll be pretty happy. And you'll be able to tell because what they'll do is, if they're too dry, they'll go soak in their water bowl. Rainbows mm -hmm. should never be soaking in their water bowl. If they do that, there's something wrong. It's either because it's too hot or it's too dry. I've never, ever, seen any one of my rainbows, adults, juveniles, babies, my own production, other production, I've never seen one soak in a water bowl. They just don't do that. So if they do, you're doing something wrong. So they're really good at giving you feedback in that way because of that hydration factor. Um, but you don't want to keep things so humid that they mold. Um, so with babies, it's kind of a fine line. With adults, it's much more forgivable. And that's why I find I like the, the particulate bedding like coconut husk or uh, cypress mulch, or a mix of the two even, because you can you can literally turn over a water bowl, you can spray it down, you can do all this stuff. So you get condensation on the walls and all this, you know, really good visible signs that it's humid in there, but it's okay to let it like dry out a little bit before you rehydrate it again, because you certainly don't want mold to grow. But um, like I said, adults are much more uh, forgiving in that way. Babies, um, you know, if you're going to keep them on paper, you want to keep that paper damp. The problem with constantly damp paper is that's going to promote bacteria and mold growth real yeah. quick. So you need to be on top of your cleaning. And the best tool with rainbow boas as babies, if you're keeping them on a hydrated paper, is your nose. Because if it smells funky in there, that means the paper is going to start producing bacteria and stuff that you can't yeah. see. So change it out. But that being said, they're really good on particulate bedding. You're just not going to see them during the day because they'll – They'll utilize the, the moisture-promoting properties of that particulate bedding and burrow into it, and that's what they like to do. Sounds like a freaking ring or a white lip. But so, which, you know, make the keeping harder. You have to try it. You're trying to convince me not to do this. Okay. <laughs> so you need to start telling me. Yeah. You start telling me why I shouldn't do this, okay? Well, for you, it's because you don't uh, you don't seem to have room, and you keep telling me that every time I was telling you, you should get Krebos. You should get. Oh, I don't have room. I, I have the Krebos. I have Krebos <laughs> now. You have. I just. I haven't. Some Krebos. Uh, shut up. <laughs> I just because I have not gone and done like black, yellow, and unicolor. Right. I'm waiting for you because then oh, we can so trade Krebos. They're another. Yeah, we can both thing. get different. Yeah, man. Um, but uh, you. Just, you Eric, yeah. I'll uh, I'll I'll bust out the female when you're here in August, and you can uh, 
you can wrangle her and uh, I wrangle because she's eight, she's like uh, she's over six feet and she will move all six feet of her when you hold her. <laughs> oh really? So, oh, this sounds like. This oh sounds yeah, she's it's not whipping, but she's just like I want to go here, and you really can't stop her. Is this gonna so, be an Instagram live as far as, uh, video that we do? Yeah, man. As far as rainbows, I mean. The, the the common myth that I was told when I was getting into it is number one the humidity thing and that was always something that kind of scared me off but you know I, I white lips have the same white lips and rings have the same oh the humidity needs to be near a hundred no it doesn't <laughs> like it just need you need to give yeah, them the option to get there they do have to have that same thing where if you don't have a water bowl or they don't have water they're dead oh yeah I mean yeah. Uh, dude like if my if I leave for like a week. And one of my baby carpets is like, yay, and knocks over the water bowl and like it dries up, they'll be fine. Yeah. White lip, that is a death sentence. Like it is, yeah. 100%. So, I mean, that's why uh, my my white lips, I try to give them bins and stuff that they can either get into, which they do rarely, or every once in a while just overturn their water bowl in their cage. So, but the other thing that kind of threw off of rainbows, um, and it, it's something I wish I hadn't gotten thrown off for because I ended up doing the stupid Dominicans anyway was um, that epicretes are filthy, filthy creatures and will shit up a wall and other things like that, which I can tell you the Dominicans did. And when you held them, they would like ooze out the back end of wonderful boa musk. So rainbows better, worse. I've, I've never been musked on by a rainbow. Already an improvement. Okay. Yep. So. Never had that happen. And honestly, they almost latrine, dude. <laughs> they, okay. they, so they just, they just put it in a, no, they just put it in a corner and avoid it. Um, they're just like, let's go in there and I'm going to be over there. Uh, they're not messy. They don't, so much easier. Yeah, yeah, and they don't, like, do laps through it and smear it on the wall like a corn snake or a rat snake. But um, if you, the challenge is if you're doing particulate bedding and you've got a couple inches of it, you really have to, like, smell for it or put some gloves on and sift. Or if you're keeping them in tubs at that age, you know, I just – I'll slide the whole tub out and I'll put it up to the light and I'll look underneath. And you'll be able to see where, like, a deposit is because more often than not, they put it at the bottom of the substrate to bury it. Um, so you'll see the white, like, urates, or you'll see, like, an extra moist spot or something that looks right. weird. Just you de- you develop it. an eye for it, um, which is kind of gross. Uh, <laughs> I don't but, know yeah. snake poo. <laughs> uh, not, not the worst we think we've done, yeah. Yeah, and it's not very frequent, and it's pretty consistent. Like, I can almost predict when I should be really looking in my rainbow cages. It's usually about between five and seven days after a meal. Uh, they're pretty pretty damn consistent with those bowel movements, and they rarely give you much in between other than, like, maybe a small urate here or there. So okay. I'm going to swing back to humidity real quick. And um, yeah. is this a – so first, like, what, are you shooting for a number, or is it more of just, like, you know, a feeling? Is it – So I, I wouldn't know if somebody was – asking me for advice what number to give them if they are monitoring it i would say aim for higher rather than lower air on the side of higher um Mm -hmm. that being said sometimes those humidity readers or probes or whatever are only giving you at that 
that particular moment and at best you can use the histrionic to get the highs and lows to see what your range is as it fluctuates. So it's kind of delayed information in my opinion as far as if I were to rely on that matter. So I don't I don't shoot for numbers. I don't monitor the humidity in any of my cages or tubs or anything. What I do is for, for babies they're on uh, like a paper liner and I just make sure it's damp. And I just make sure they look good. Uh, there's like you can open a baby rack tub and just that quick little you can feel that little microclimate of extra humid in there like you just opened the Amazon in your face. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and so you can feel that um, as far as like adults and things. I like to spray them usually twice a week, really saturate the enclosure and uh, make sure everything goes through a, like a super soaked period and then it has a few days to dry out and then I'll do it again. But if something's looking bare and dry, then I'd, I'll just go you know, spray it down. And ultimately, um, I just kind of do that until I see any sort of feedback from the animals during their shed cycles that tells me I've been slacking lately. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. So I have another question and just, but this is more probably of a thought and like, are you, I guess I would imagine that you're keeping that humidity constant throughout the day, right? I mean, the night, yeah. right? there's no, yeah. there's no difference. And I guess looking at the video from Dave, it's probably more of a, um, a constant humidity. Whereas yeah. in other places, this kind of like popped into my head is that, you know, it usually gets more humid at night when everything is sort of cooling down. So like, as we talk about, you know, trying to uh, further snake keeping, uh, you know, and, 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 and try to get the, the animal in the most, uh, you know, healthy environment uh, that we possibly can provide, um, I guess with this species, it wouldn't make sense to sort because like what I've sort of been experimenting with is at night, I'll up the humidity in my room, um, mm -hmm. just to see if I, you know, I see the animals acting any differently or anything like that, um, as opposed to during the day, is you know it's just whatever it is what it is. But um, it seems like from what you're saying, this is more of a constant humidity. Yeah, it is pretty constant. Um, you know, they're rather equatorial. They experience pretty stable temps. Uh, you know, they don't really get much of a drop or a winter where they're at. Yeah, um, there's a little seasonal change. Yeah, the only thing they get is like monsoon season and normal amounts of rain season. There isn't a dry season. It's just oh, I got you. It's rain they're very more rain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're very equatorial in that way. Uh, very similar to a lot of our Indonesian species that we keep. Honestly, just maybe slightly cooler because um, there's well, I guess there's coastline and all of those too. Anyway, um, but yeah, they. Uh, well, and if you think about how, like, the pressure fronts work when sun's rising and falling and, like, the temperature's going to go up and change, the, the points where you get the most dramatic changes, sunrise and sunset. Right. And so if you've got a climate that's really ready to erupt with moisture, those are going to be the two peak points. So if you are like me and you, like, get up before work and check your animals and then check them again in the evening or you just – prefer one or the other, the morning or the evening are great times to either set your misting system if you like to use those or spray them down sort of thing. So what I'll do is I'll come in the morning, I'll check everything, turn the lights on, and I'll 
you know, as far as the rainbows, I'll do a quick look at any condensation on the tubs. And if I feel like they've been, you know, without some extra kick and moisture, I'll either get a, give it to them first thing in the morning or before lights out going to bed, just to sort of mimic that sort of natural rise and fall of the sun and those, you know, the change of the pressure fronts. They don't like being sprayed directly, but I'll tell you, you go and miss that enclosure down, you're usually going to get some interest out of them, either sniffing around or, or you know, sparing a little bit. So, so my, okay. my other thought... Somebody's going to do something. Yeah, my yeah. other thought with humidity is, I mean, you know, I was talking with uh, Chris about this uh, the other day, but um, we were talking about, um, you know, we stumbled upon... He, he sent me a message about humidity and, um, you know... I think one of the things that sort of changed my mind and, and, and I don't know where he sat on this before it was when we went to Australia and actually we're in carpet python country hmm. and it was like, holy shit, it's humid as hell, you know, and you can just feel the humidity. So my thought is, how does that apply to respiratory infections? So meaning that a lot of times, and this is what Chris was telling me, that his vet was saying that low humidity is is just as much as much of a cause of respiratory infections as high humidity and cold temps because the mus mucous membranes need you know in low humidity you know this is where you're you're getting you know like with with people we're getting in the winter months people get nose sore throats and, you know what i mean bleed, yeah yeah so dry air and why we use humidifiers yeah. in the winter time and stuff like that for for us personally uh, you know mm -hmm. because they're drying out so the mucous membranes need moisture so is there any sort of thing that goes along with with these guys like saying if you're not hitting humidity correctly that they may be prone to ris i've never had them develop ris um i've never had an ri in a single rainbow boa but you might hear like a slightly drier exhale if like you startle them and they give you like a full like flinch it'll mm -hmm. just you'll hear it as opposed to not but it, okay. it's they're pretty dang tough. I've never had an issue with it, that. Now, that being said, um, having moved from Santa Barbara up to Sacramento and going from a coastal, very humid environment to the valley where it's hot and dry with low humidity, um, I definitely saw changes in my carpet pythons, and I found myself having to do more for the ambient room for my rainbows as far as humidity goes and my carpets. So I definitely think we've understated the importance of ambient humidity for a lot of animals. Um, now, granted, our style of keeping using PVC cages that are well insulated, yeah, a, a big ceramic bowl does enough in these environments. Yeah. Right. Um, but what you were talking about is when the temperature gets cold, um, you no longer have evaporation, which is what's contributing to that kick in humidity. Now you've got cold, wet, and damp. Yeah. And that's, that's you know, bad territory for you, for me. Like, right. cold, wet, and damp is not good for anything. Right. Um, Except so, cold. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. They love that. Yeah. Which so, and, and an infection, you know, an yeah. infection of fungus or something like that. Like, that's, it's all sort of very similar uh, in that. So, you know, if you've got, if you're in your winter season and um, and you're trying to keep the room super humid, but it's cold, you're running a humidifier when it's cold, you might overdo it pretty quick. Um, okay. Yeah, so that's that's definitely something I think about a lot. I don't, uh, 
I don't mist these animals down quite as much in the winter. Um, I just stay on top of the fresh water bowl. Um, and just they're in cages and enclosures that are very low ventilation to make that easier on me. Now, if you're going to try and keep something in a screen top, I will tell you right now, don't. Um, it can be done, but you're going to work yourself to death, spraying it down, keeping it humid, like all this other stuff. It, it's just once you see how easy it can be done with a low ventilation, well-insulated enclosure that doesn't have a screen top, your life will change. Um, I've done both. My first rainbow bow I raised up in a 20-gallon in a tub, and it was a pain in the butt. But I learned a ton about ventilation, and I figured out pretty quickly this screen top jam ain't working. And I covered two-thirds of it and mm-hmm. you know, dumped the water bowl all the time and was spraying every day. And it was a ton of work, and it was way harder on myself than it needed to be. Gotcha. Yeah, sounds like, uh, what is it, dark frogs where people will take the exoterras and actually swap out the screen for cut yep. glass at, like, Lowe's just to seal it up. Yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Ventilation, uh, heat, and uh, airflow all play big roles in how the the ambient climate in whatever tub or cage you're doing actually sort of sits at how it all works. So, if you're running something cool and then just spraying it all the time, you're just going to drop that temperature and make everything colder than you really want. If you're mm-hmm. running a certain like slightly warmer temperature. Um, and you want higher humidity, you can get away with spraying a little bit more. But if not, you need to then focus on ventilation and the size of the water feature that's in there because the surface area dictates how much evaporation is going on. Uh, if it's a if it's a big volume of water, but it's a tall, skinny thing, it's going to evaporate and contribute about as much moisture as a tiny little deli cup that has the same surface area. So if you're having trouble with it, cut your ventilation and go for a bigger water feature. So what are the temps that you're trying to get at when it comes to babies all the way up to adults? Like what's their range? Um, I like to give them a hot spot set to 85, but um, let them drop down to like 81 at night. Um, so I don't really give them too much of a swing, but yeah, 85 middle of the road, they're good. No higher than that. You start going higher than that. You start, um, sort of working against yourself and your humidity management as well as, um, you know, threatening to just kind of overheat these animals and get them, you know, processing too fast. Told you to make it harder, Riley. I mean, this is (laughs) not... These animals are perfect for the Terry Phillip method. Son of a bitch. All right. Year round and just cycle feed and they'll breed for you, dude. So these aren't these guys aren't like baskers per se. No, 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 no. I find that they avoid light and being out and on top of things exposed at all times. They don't like it. You'll only see them out doing something like that at night, and it's just because they're cruising. Gotcha. So, yeah. a good kind of indication for a white lip and a ring is that they actually peel correct when they mm-hmm. shed. Mm-hmm. Is that same kind of? you know, gauge for a rainbow is that if it peels nice, you're in the money where you should be. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And you'll still uh, get, you'll still get bad sheds too. If like the snake has decided it's not going to go where it needs to go. Yeah. Yeah. You'll, you know, especially at a certain size, like my, my adult male, he will occasionally like catch it on like his log hide or something like that. And it'll tear. Um, but the female, because she is bigger 
it's just like it, it's much easier for it to break and tear and flake off but yeah definitely i've gotten perfect sheds out of her when i was on top of it as far as you know keeping the humidity up yeah. they're they're a fantastic little barometer of of your own husbandry they will tell you in how they shed and how they poop and how they behave if you're doing something right so yeah it's, I, it's more along the lines of paying attention to the snake and then they'll sort of mm-hmm. tell you if the, the parameters are correct yeah the good thing is they do, do seem to be pretty forgiving it's really easy to get them out of a stuck shed with the soak real quick it's really easy to make a few corrections and like i said earlier i've never had any sort of respiratory infection or any sort of reason to seek any medical treatment for a single rainbow ever in my life no knock on it thank you um like this is the it was it last week i finally got like incomplete sheds for my retics and i'm like finally this will never happen again because you know manually peeling a very pissed off 12 foot like you know it's not fun i don't recommend (laughs) so yeah so i guess as far as um i guess um as far as uh, shit, now, uh, well, my thought would be that these guys would lend themselves to, you know, it seems like the trend in the hobby at the moment is people moving towards more naturalistic type setups and stuff, and you know, people that are keeping uh, less, you know, less um, amounts, if you will, and 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 really decking them out. Um, and it seems to me that this would be one of those species that would lend itself to to that type of thing, um, and. I found it interesting that, you know, and this goes back to Dave Kaufman's video where he was sort of showing, you know, the soil underneath was very, very wet, humid, if you will, whatever, very close to the consistency of what we see with the coconut, uh, you know, whatever brand you use, you know. Um, And then on top of that was just leaf litter, Mm -hmm. you know, just um, up on top, which was which was more dry. So. and I think the spot that he was at, it was like one of those, you know, big trees with the buttress roots and all that. And um, yeah. they're sort of climbing in between there. So I, I think, I don't know, if I was going to do like a naturalistic type of setup, like you could really deck it out with that kind of kind of system going on. And Absolutely. Really cool. Yeah, they would do really well with, uh, like if you got a big enough enclosure, you could potentially find some good hardy live plants to put in there although they're such a heavy bodied animal but i imagine they'll just flatten stuff but you could get some stuff with like a dense stalk and like put it in some rocks you know support it um but they would do really well with um bioactive as well if you if you were you know so inclined to go that route because bioactivity having isopods and things turning over the the soil and composting things like that actually generates some extra heat and moisture ambiently and it really lends well to the type of environment these snakes thrive in um, but yeah doing a, a nice super moist bedding with uh, leaf litter on top is great because the leaf litter almost acts like a blanket insulating the moisture back down Keeps into that in. yeah and and these animals do not get scale rot um I've never even seen photographs of it in them. All of that iridescence on them comes from these really, really like triangle ridges that run along their she- uh, their scales that refract light. And that's why we see all of that uh, iridescence coming off. So they basically have these micro ridges on their scales that are all linear and they just divert water off of them and keep their scales nice and healthy. And 
you would think that like with thin uh, dermal layers, like every time they shed, it's real thin, like super thin. Huh. Um, yeah. Think that they would be prone to scale rot, and I've never seen it. Like it, you can flood them, and they're good. Do you guys like dig tunnels, like burrow into down into the stuff, or is it like they're on top and then they'll maybe shimmy down into it? Like, are we talking? Cal, uh, you know, are we, are we talking full burrow or, you know, um, kinda... as I think when they're younger, they'll burrow a little bit more. If you give them the okay. opportunity or especially if you do like a, an enclosure overhaul and you give them a, a bunch of fresh bedding, they'll definitely like worm around in it. But, it. Yeah. but they, you know, all of my older animals, they, they will sit under a hide, but on top of the substrate, um, or occasionally like cruise around through it, but they're not like subterranean 24 seven, like a Calabar or anything like that. Okay. But that being said, you know, my like, well, I guess my babies are on paper, but like some of my two year olds, they'll shimmy down a little bit. Like if they're in shed or if it's while the substrate is a little on the drier end, like if I haven't sprayed them down in a while, they will. But if I've just sprayed it down and it's nice and humid and the water's fresh and they, you know, they're far away from a shed, they'll sit on top of the substrate and I'll open the tub and I'll just see them and they're just boom, glowing with color right in front of me on top of it. So, yeah. Wow. Cool. So what's uh, an adult cage? What's the what size you go with? I mean, I've been breeding my big old female in three foot cages all her time with me, um, whether it be a Neodesh or the three foot visions. Now that being said, she's kind of on the bigger end, so like if she had a four footer, it would look a little more appropriate for how big she is. But for a six and a half foot snake, she disappears into like a dinner plate size corner pretty well, um, and. Given how shy they are and how difficult it is, you know, the bigger the cage, the more airspace, right? So the harder it is to maintain that microclimate that you're trying to give them. So you make it harder on yourself, which ultimately, if you're not going to be as diligent, uh, only impacts the animal. But they're so shy, especially during the day. Um, I think they do better in slightly smaller than than that like i've got smaller adult female carpet pythons in four foot cages that are comfortable but i feel like if i put even my big rainbow in there she would just hide all the time it would just be a little bit exposed but you know at night she'd have a little more room to cruise but yeah three foot cages is perfect for them as adults okay not helping get harder <laughs> for boa tubs or you know right. like you can keep males in a cb70 uh and then throw a female in something a little bit bigger okay now are they do they ever you know uh use like uh branches or anything like that or are they strictly more of a ground dwelling species you know I, i've given them different little branches and grapevines and things and they almost never use them. Yeah. Uh, they probably would prefer a cork tube over a branch, right? Yeah, if you give them a yeah. cork tube or a round or a hide or something, right. go under them. And, like, you might – at night when they're active and roaming the enclosure, they'll traverse across whatever you give them. But, no, nah, they don't use any of that stuff. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah, they're very, very terrestrial. And, and I've, I've actually seen a lot of people who are like, no, these things need to climb and this and that and – I mean, boas are strong. They can climb, but 
so can a 40-year-old ball python that I work with at work. Doesn't mean he's an arboreal snake. Like, right. so Rattle, know, rattlesnakes can swim. They don't need a giant water feature to swim across. Like, right, oh, right. Man. I've been keeping pools with my rattlesnakes. What am I doing? I, uh, like, ah, yeah. They're all out back. Yeah. Damn it. Exactly. I made a wave pool for my rattlesnakes so you can have that real experience of the wild. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the problem is, snake is this, like, around. there's this beautiful stock photograph of a Brazilian rainbow boa, like, hanging from some branch down. I think it's, like, one of Chris Gillette's photos. It's absolutely stunning. Right. Um, I guarantee you that animal was either put, put there that by him in. or it was, mm-hmm. like, out and he scared it. It was getting away and had enough of his shit and turned around to try and defend him for that shot because I couldn't get my rainbows to hang or coil on anything if I tried. Right. I got that, or the rule that. was, if you found it, just you stuck it in a tree for the picture. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know. It, well, we yeah, whatever. I mean, think about it. You know, I mean. No, we didn't. We didn't touch anything. Uh, it just happened to go <laughs> up into a tree. You're correct. Weird. Thank you. Well, at least the Ellen Pelly was in the tree. You know, we didn't stage. Well, I mean, one. that was. <laughs> yeah. That was the one we should have. Anyway. What about feeding? Um, what, what's what's your they approach eat with food, right? Do they need food? Are you doing yeah, varied diets? Okay. Are you are you, is it a certain uh, time frame? Are you doing uh, how much fish have you fed your rainbows? I know you thought about it. <laughs> I know you. What I, you have, I have thought about putting uh, like a, a clear like glass something or other to throw fish in there so they see it moving around. Oh, I know, once you monster. I was talking about like, plays. No, I bet you they would eat those. I don't know if they would eat fillets. They might turn their nose up at that. Um, no, these things eat, man. Um, they hit hard, too. They hit real hard. They pack a punch. you got to be careful. Make sure you got long enough tongs because if they miss and go past and they grab your hand, it hurts uh, at all ages. Uh, <laughs> yeah, as adults, like, you can feed an adult male on a diet of, like, medium rats every three four weeks kind of like i do that's uh, a good thing yeah, yeah exactly uh, my my big females it's like a medium or a large every three four weeks or so unless we're building up towards breeding season then i'll really pack it in um as babies uh the i feed my offspring literally like within 48 hours of birth they they will eat um, all right uh, no, so live bears, I know they, 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 they pop out and they shed almost immediately, or is it like not these guys? These guys take okay. these guys take a week, but a week that, being, that being said, the whole the whole litter is uh, pretty much in shed behind me right now, and they're a week old today. So it does right. happen quicker than most. It, I, yeah, because with the Dominicans, it was like. They came, they shed in about a week, and then I tried feeding trials. Now, with the with the, with the rainbows, with these guys, they come out, and there is no yolk. They've already absorbed everything, and they're ready to correct. go, correct? Yeah, okay. so they either, on the way out, they're either coming out in that, L, uh, that gel sack, and they just got to burst and come out, or in the process— the egg sac has either broken right at the vent or is breaking as it's coming out and babies will come out, but they hit the ground running. There is no yolk left. They barely even have an umbilical slit. The only thing that you'll see is like clear gelatin and some veins that are the remainder of what was, you know, um, 
sustaining them in the oviduct. So, right. yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah, you're sitting there like playing with like a a pool toy of like water jelly. Like, it, dude, it's <laughs> and it smells so bad. Yeah, like I, like I opened my, I opened my door when when the Dominican the both times the Dominican had babies. I was just like. And the second time, like, I know this smell. And the first time, I'm like, did something just die and, like, explode downstairs? Like, yeah. it's yeah, gnarly. It's, it's, yeah. pretty, it's pretty distinct. Um, I wouldn't say it's, like, super harsh, like, on the front end. It doesn't, like, punch it's in the face. But it's yeah. just, it's there, and you can't, you can't not notice it. And I'm kind of nose blind to it, but, like... I, even I am just like, hey, I know that sweet smell. Where, where, where are these babies at? Where are they at? Right. So, but um, yeah, it's messy, dude. Do you, what? So what I do is I just I prep a whole new cage amount of bedding the day or a couple <laughs> days before. So when it happens, I can pull mom out, bathe her, do an entire cage overhaul, like disinfect walls, everything. Because typically that four month period, um, I'm not doing anything in that cage other than throwing clean water in and spraying it down. So I let it get messy unless she like decides to go to the bathroom once or twice. Um, Cause she'll feed during my big female that just birthed, she eats during her pregnancy. So. Um, it's always better for them. I mean, I've had carpets that have eaten through their pregnancies, like being gravid and they're always come out the back end looking not horrible. Yeah, um, and then you yeah. have the one where it's like it refuses food for a month, and then it lays, and you're like, "Oh God, it's dead!" Like it's <laughs> flat. So, um, are you adjusting the size of the prey while she's pregnant? That was about that. Yeah. Like, so let's see. Son of a bitch. <laughs> <My fault. laughs> um. So I was I typically feed her large rats, um, or like really big mediums, depending on the time of year. And during her pregnancy, the first meal I gave her was a small rat, and then the next two were medium rats. Um, and she was just like in a big, gravid, tight bowl, grabs the food, goes back, and it's like I don't see her for another month. <laughs> so um, you're alive. Good to yeah. know. It's so, um, she ate three times during um, the four month gestation period. I don't okay. feed her on the last month because the very first litter she gave me, the last month she refused all food offerings. And I can't remember again where I saw somebody else doing this. It might have been just from Dave Collins' website. But you know, if an animal is going to eat during um, you know, gestation, it's only beneficial as far as putting nutrients in while things are going on, as long as it's not too big and then it right. impacts what is actually physically going on. Um, but with her size, like I could feed her a freaking rabbit and we have, up. haven't yeah. you? Yes. <laughs> yes, I have. Oh, wow. I okay. listened to that episode, you monster. <laughs> um, so the, uh, now, now she'll eat, she'll eat any stillborns. Do you think she does that because she doesn't eat for that last month? Yeah, I think there's definitely a lot of hardwired instinct to get as much of those nutrients back. Um, she ate two slugs this time before I pulled her out. Um, she had never produced slugs, as far as I know, uh, in her previous litters. So this is okay. the first time I confirmed that she had eaten it. And I was very curious to see if she did as soon as I learned there was one. Um the very first litter she had, there was one stillborn in it. And if I'm not mistaken, I 
think I fed that to a Kribo. I cannot get my Kribos to eat snakes. Mm. I, had a, I had a baby carpet that kicked it, and I'm like, here you go. And the Kribo's like, I don't know what to do with that. I'm like, you, you're you broken, Kribo. Well, that, that was the male. The female was in shed. Otherwise, she would have taken my arm off. So it's it, it, but it's just it's cool to see them do that because they're like, this is nutrients. It's like and I, I've also heard with Boas every once in a while you get like same thing with carpets how jag mothers are just horrible mothers and they're like, put the eggs in the water bowl. And sometimes you can get boas that are like, well, I've now had babies time to cruise around the, and they'll go run over their kids. Yes. And is that something to worry about that she's going to have these babies and could hurt them? Yes, it is. Uh, it is a very, very significant concern, especially when you're talking about the, the boa constrictors and the red tails, given how big some of them can be heavy bodied, especially in proportion to their babies. Um, I've got some photos of mom sitting on like half of the litter. And every time I see that, I'm like, ah. but I've never had an issue with it, but like, it does make me nervous. It does. But she's okay. at that point, she's what she does is she moves around the cage and, and kind of deposits the babies in the nearest free space and then a near free space. And so she's trying to put them in open spaces and kind of find the open space. So she's, she's not like just trucking over them, but you definitely don't want to leave them in there. I've seen plenty of folks have had litters and like they got to it late or something and mom was sitting on babies and crushed them. Um, okay. It definitely can happen. Uh, the good thing is they give you plenty of heads up when they're going to lay. Um, yeah, you pretty much had that one girl that you were on the video. You were like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. going to happen and, today. And then an hour later, I was like, I think she's giving birth. And sure enough, she was. Right. Yeah, they give you plenty of heads up. Usually um, when you're getting to like the week before she's due, you want to start watching the enclosure because she'll put out like a little urate plug. Sometimes it's like a waxy plug, but it's, it's oftentimes just – urates out of nowhere and she'll just put it in a corner and it sometimes doesn't look right it's like yellow or a little bit off in it's consistency or texture and and anytime right. i see that i'm like okay we're in the birthing window and it can happen as soon as 24 hours later or it can happen like five to six days later um i think she popped that little plug out like four days before she ended up uh dropping this litter and then so that's your first sign if you if you've been counting the days since her post ovulation shed um you know you're shooting for 120 120 days is about how long the gestation is so you're right around four months so when you hit that waxy plug or that urate then you start checking every day and you watch her and what she'll do is she'll either be doing one of two things she'll be completely tight and heat hugging or she'll be cruising around restless if she's heat hugging and then goes to cruising you know babies are coming in a day if she's cruising right off the bat after that plug, babies are coming in a day. Sometimes they just skip that whole like last minute heat stuff. Yeah. So yeah, uh, live bears, it's like it's like yeah. it's like mammals having babies. Well, it could be now or next week. <laughs> what it's like yeah. It, God damn yeah. live bears. Yeah. So what's the uh well let's Let's back it up for a second. Like, so going into breeding season. How do we get to the babies? Yeah, I mean, are you, <laughs> so. <laughs> do you start at a specific time? Because you're saying that, so, well, I have a couple questions wrapped around this one. Number one, like, because they're this sort of, 
no real change in the cycle, so to speak. Are they being bred year-round, or is it more of a, of a seasonal thing that, that breeders are doing with these guys? It, it is very seasonal, um, and I think these animals are very hardwired into their seasonal behaviors. Even though there isn't much of a temperature swing, uh, it is widely utilized to drop temperatures a little bit at a certain time. Uh, and and you can play with food availability and do a little bit of food cycling, like smaller meals or less frequent meals at that time. Uh, and you can tinker with the moisture content a little bit. But I do actually cycle them a little bit, but it's, it's not much. Um, so I, I'm running them at an 85 degree, 83 to 85 during the day, and then come down to about 81 or so at night most of the year. Mm -hmm. And then usually starting in October, like the beginning of October, I'll start down ramping a little bit, a couple degrees as far as how low I'll let the night go, but I'll still keep the, the daytime highs at like no lower than 80. So over the course of a couple of weeks, I'll drop it so that by middle to the end of October, they're getting a daytime high of like 82, 81, and then nighttime going down to only 75. So it's not a huge drop. It's not a big gap. It's not cold or anything like that. And inevitably, my room does cycle a little bit, but, you know, with a heater and things, I'm sort of cutting off that bottom extreme uh, and those cages insulate well, so they don't get a ton, but inevitably I do have to expect that they experience some of the cycle from the room. So it's not very much. And as I said, I start the down ramping in October. So earlier than I would my carpets. Um, and then I think I bring their temperatures back up. What do I have written down? Yeah, so I drop them down through the course of October, and then I bring them back up um, like the end of December so that by middle of January, end of January, they're back at their normal temperatures. Okay. And I'm also starting to introduce uh, during the cooler parts of that cycle. So I'll start introducing late November, middle to late November. So after they've had their couple weeks of ramping down, clear out their systems, a couple weeks of adjusting to this new routine, and then I start putting the mail in. And the beautiful thing about these rainbows is they breed quite readily. The males are, you know, pretty straight, straightforward to the point. You don't really have to worry about aggression from females. That's not really anything I've ever read documented before. Um, so the only reason why a rainbow wouldn't breed is if the, they're just not mature, they didn't cycle, or they didn't get enough feed. Um, so they're pretty good that way. So yeah, as soon as we're a couple weeks into the, you know, the 75 nighttime low and the low 80s day, um, that's when I'm putting the males in, and they'll lock up frequently. Rainbows, you will see them lock up. But full body lock. The males, yeah, the males will do a full like damn near king snake thing on the back like foot of the female. Um, and if you if you've got a, a pretty significant size difference in your pair, it's kind of funny to see. He's like riding her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. It's it's pretty much uh, it's pretty much just like carpets, you know, with a small male riding the female. Um, but some of them are pretty close in size almost. So, um, but what you'll do is you'll see them breed 
then lock up plenty. Um, you can feed during this, uh, this cooler time. They'll readily eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, smaller meals, less frequently sort of thing, good rule of thumb. And I find that the lockups that matter the most are the ones right as I'm cooling or bringing the warm back up, the warmth back up, because that's when I see the female really starting to change her behavior as far as what she does when the male's out of the enclosure and how she holds her body carriage and her fat composition, how she muscularly positions it on her body and the way she sits. And the great thing is females give you plenty of signs. They'll side roll a ton. They'll go hug the heat out of nowhere when it's like, you know, not exceptionally cold or anything. So those I find are the the lockups that mean uh, a lot, the ones that end of December, early January. And then if you've been on it and they're fed and they do everything right, you an ovulation is very pronounced in these animals. If you're checking them visually, you will see your female will literally look like she ate a guinea pig or something, just something massive. But it's like the whole body, and they tend to go in this beautiful donut where it's like somebody almost overinflated the tire right before it blew up sort of look. Gotcha. Okay. And then a day later, they go back to just looking kind of big and taut, like very tense skin and scale separation. And then you get a shed, and you just have to sit and wait for four months and make sure that the humidity is still good during all of that, that she's got fresh water. Um, like I said, you can feed her during, during all of that, but otherwise uh, her activity decreases almost entirely. She'll, she's not cruising around at night. She's not doing anything other than going from hot to cool if she wants it. Okay. Okay. What about as far as anything? Are you doing any um, uh, uh, spraying, extra spraying during this? Of, of uh, You simulate the monsoon. I I spray them less during the cool down in the cooler months, but as I'm getting to the warming up period where I'm starting to ramp back up, that's when I'm much more diligent about my spraying. Even though it might be cooler out here, I'm trying to make a warm front in there. And so what I'll do is I'll increase the amount of time that that hot spot is, is getting warmer. Instead of it just being on for eight hours, I'll bump it back up to like 12 hours on. And then I'll, that's when I'll really start hammering the, the moisture. I'll flip a water bowl. I'll really hose them down good uh, once they warm back up and they go for their first meals. I'll really slam them full of water. Um, start feeding the males back up, and then yeah, that from that point on, you just try and keep your your ambient environment in that enclosure for that female as happy and copacetic as she wants. And she'll tell you again if she's she's spending a lot of time trying to submerge into this substrate, she probably needs more moisture. If she's trying to really get down to the heat, she wants to be warm. She's cooking. That's a good sign. If 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 things are dry and you see her soaking in the water bowl, that's a bad thing. Spray it down. <laughs> Dump yeah. the water, yeah. like wrench it, man. Like you know, sometimes I'm in here spraying, and I've got a, you know, what is it, a two-gallon sprayer, and I'll empty half of it just on her cage. And I really wish I had one, just like a hose from the ceiling, a garden hose. <laughs> I would, it, oh. it is. You you get a slop sink, and then you get a a long extendo hose with it. It's so yeah. You get the the nozzle, and you like mist, and then it just you just go. So. Yeah, your your next place, Riley. You know, yeah, set aside some cool. space. I'm gonna yeah. have a big uh, a big enough sink where I can put a, a CB70 tub straight in it, 
And I, 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 I wanted that, but I couldn't, I couldn't get there because of my yeah. space. But, yeah. 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 Uh, dreams. But they, 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 <laughs> they come out and drink a lot when they're gravid. That's like the only activity I see out of the female when she's, when she's gestating. The only thing out is she, if she's too warm, she'll move to the cool end, which doesn't happen much. Uh, or she'll just poke her head out and have a drink and go back. And that's all will I see. they bas- will they bask belly up if they have if they're live bears or if they have is that something they would do? Yeah, they'll they'll roll a bit. Um, you might you you might have a female that goes full ventral scales up, Bird. but yeah, they okay. definitely do side rolling. So you'll see all of the the flank eye spots on top. All of a sudden, it's beautiful, man. It's like it's undeniable when these animals are gravid and it's, it's almost like one of those things that you take for granted in other species. Cause you'll get faked out left and right with carpets doing that or whatever. All the time I get faked out. I, I yeah. got faked out three times this year. Yeah. But but like, yeah. No. <laughs> they tell you when they're cycling, it's really, really apparent. It's very visible in their behavior because they're very shy and, and they don't like to, they don't like to be seen much. They, you know, they prefer to come out at night and, and you know it's a typical reptile, rather secretive. But mm-hmm. um, you know the 2016 female that I kept from her first litter, um, she cycled for me this year just by virtue of being in the rack in the room, kind of going through the same motions. And I didn't breed her, but I could tell she was cycling because she started doing some side rolling and a little bit of swelling. And she's only mm-hmm. four, so I you know I wasn't trying to breed her this year. Um, cause I, I think they do better at five in my opinion. Um, you know, unless you're really feeding them at a good, healthy rate as they're raising up. Cause they'll, as soon as you hit the two year mark, if you're on small or medium rats with them, probably small by two, um, they're going to pick up steam and really grow. Um, and then they hit like the three and a half year mark and you almost don't notice the growth until one day you open their enclosure and you're like, dang, you're an adult. Um, <laughs> yeah, what happened? <laughs> yeah. But you know, you'll see an animal that's like, okay, you're clearly mature. You're cycling. However, I don't know if it's just my, um, experience because of the really massive female, but like, I know plenty of folks that would breed this female at her size down here, but I want to give her another year because I know what her mom is, and I know how sort of flawless those breeding seasons go. I've never had complications with mom having issues or the litter having issues, and, and I feel like that has to that has to do with, you know, taking it a safe route, giving them the extra year of maturity, extra year of size, because boas, they sit and hold it internally for four months. It's not like you know, snakes that hold eggs for maybe a month and then ditch them out and then they can go eat again. You know, it, it baffles me how people are able to get rainbow boas to breed back to back years. Like I do not see that as physically possible or natural. And yet some people can do it. And I don't know how. Hmm. It's, it's one of those things where, you know, what is it? Carpets can breed at three. I usually hold them back to four because it's so much better for the female to wait till four. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, now because I've been, I, I've just been slow growing stuff. I have four year olds where I'm like, you're not big enough. And I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> like, I need to get back on the horse. I need to, I need to start feeding shit again. So, um, but it, it just kind of goes through those cycles. I mean, um, I mean, I don't really know where else to go with this one. It's, it kind of seems pretty I, well, straightforward and cool. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I have a question. Like, how does the shed cycle f- 
fit into this? Like with coming from pythons, we're looking at a prelation. Yeah. We know that she's going to lay eggs in X amount of time. Is there like a, a shed in between ovulation or? Without uh, looking at the card. You have to do this from memory. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. So I've never been faked out um, as far as like pre-ovulation or post-ovulation. Um, usually they will shed right after you drop them down into like a winter cycle, you'll see them have that shed kind of as your temperatures are dropping. Cause it's, you know, you've just finished giving them their last meals. They're just finishing that cycle. They shed, they go into their winter and then they breed and they're not eating as much during the winter. Um, I find that they cycle, they do the thing, they breed, and then they shed. And if you've done it, you know, that's the prelay shed. And there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um, and the way to just really know if that's the prelay shed is usually at that at that point, their body is starting to look like something's going on, and it's the behavioral tell. Um, the female will be much more selective about where she hunkers down, and she really hunkers down. <laughs> She like she's like this is my spot. I'm staying here for four months, and just the activity level changes. Even though the temperature's gone back up, um, it's just these little subtle things. Like you'll see, you know, more interest in the male feeding. Like the lockups don't last as long, and then uh, and then eventually you put a male in, and they won't lock up, and then she'll shed, and it's usually pretty quick. Um, okay. And it's usually around like spring, like March, April. So it's let me make sure that I, I'm following you. Like so, basically, they'll 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 sort of like right before they're going into the breeding, they'll they'll do a shed, and then they're not shedding again through the whole period of being pregnant. Right? Uh, correct. Okay. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. So, um, man, that's different. That is <laughs> yeah. nuts. You know what I mean? mean? That would be like, yeah, that's that's wild. Sorry. It's just there's less there's less room for like misinterpreting in yeah. my opinion. Sure, what's, what's going on? It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. They're not they're not so cryptic in right. my opinion as far as behavior, because they, like I said, they like to be in safe, secure spots where they don't have to run for cover or run for safety. And if you know they're they're comfortable in their spot, they'll have their space where they bed <laughs> down. They'll have their water and they'll have their two thermal zones and they'll only utilize them when they have to. Otherwise, they're very efficient. So if they're doing something, it's in response to something that you've either either put in their enclosure or something that's going on. Gotcha. So you said like people breeding back to back is kind of odd. Do they bounce back from pregnancy quickly or is it like it can take a bit? I mean, if you feed them, they'll bounce back. I think that's why the few people that do it have such success because you can feed them during their their gestation, and then you know, as soon as they they have their litter, you clean them out, you take the babies, you can feed them, they'll eat. So if you if that's your goal, you could really slam a bunch of food to a female. The problem is is the timing, it's the window. So like even I, I would say this girl goes a little bit earlier than some folks I know. A lot of people. Like the earliest litters being born are like late June, early July, like right now. And then you start seeing a lot more in August and September. So if we are starting to cycle in October, you've literally got one or yeah, maybe two months. Yeah, like Jesus. if you're yeah. lucky, you've got two months. And it's like I tell red you, lie. 
Yeah, I tell you right now, even this girl going early, if I fed her every week up until October, I I don't know. I don't think I don't think it would be a good litter if she produced. Gotcha. Okay. So now I know that their mothers can be protective of the babies. Mm-hmm. Um, is that always an adventure, or are there some moms that are just like, I don't care? Like, you know. <laughs> you know, I, some moms will sit there and like spring load and cock back and fire at you. And then some moms just kind of side eye you the entire yeah, time. Side eye you. But, you know, if you pull the mom out first and you can get her out and leave the babies in there and then deal with, you know, like put her put her away to soak or something, come back later, you know, then you don't have to worry about it. But yeah, you got to be careful because they, they definitely have a maternal instinct. You can see it in them. Like when my girlfriend was here filming, she was like, ah, it's the camera's having a hard time focusing on the glass. I'm going to try cracking open the door. And I was like, Okay, but the first first sign of movement or anything that she's disturbed, you'll know. So just, you know, beware. And she opened the door and she was filming. And a minute later, she's like, she doesn't like me in here. I'm closing it. (laughs) So she she definitely focuses. And I've got plenty of photos where she's staring dead at the lens of the camera. She's like, these are mine. You come in here, I will hurt you. Um, And then just the the attention to the babies is very clear. Like she goes around. inspecting all of these little wiggly gel piles and nosing into them. And it, I've seen her go to a, a gel pile that had a baby that hadn't breached its sack and kind of rake the bottom jaw teeth on it and burst the, uh, the tension on the little gel and the baby is able to get out. That's wild. So these, shit. Yeah. These animals know what's going on that they they're nosing, they're checking on their babies. They're making sure they're okay. Um, yeah, they just sit there and inspect them the whole time. They eat the stillborns. They'll eat the slugs if they're left to them long enough. And, yeah, I think they definitely demonstrate a lot more uh, maternal instinct than we give them credit for in textbooks, for sure. Wow. That's pretty interesting. That's yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, the more and more... I really dig that. I guess we dig into snakes, you know, just in general. The more and more you see that they're not... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, boring. Uh, Manless uh, killing machines. Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. There, there's actually yeah. thought behind what they're doing. Well, I don't know if thought's the right word, but like, you know what I'm saying? They, they, yeah. they're, they know what's, they're, they're aware of what's going on, if you will. Well, right. Most of my life, yeah. they've been, you know, put as this, like, uh, it's just all instinct, you know, just like total, like, they just, they don't need to move. They just need to eat and drink. That's all. They yeah. Do, you know, they'll lay the babies and leave them. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be really cool if somebody were to get fortunate enough to find a gravid female near birth in the wild and set up some sort of camera. So just watch her and see what happens after the birthing, because I've yeah. read I've read field notes and pa- papers on rattlesnake dens that were studied. Um and a mom will give birth to her babies, and the first couple of days they hang out in the den. And if they start trying to venture out of the den, if it's within the first couple of weeks, they observe mom sort of cruising in front of the baby and using a body coil and pulling it back into the den, or like an like an unrelated adult pulling it back into the den that's just using the same den. Like, wow, it it's bizarre. Cool. There's a lot more that we don't know. 
about behavior with these snakes because we've just assumed that they're lacking that ability given their lack of a, like a, what, a cerebral cortex or whatever it is. Like, right, right. Yeah. I don't know. That's so That's cool. cool. Yeah. Any other cool observations that you made, uh, you know, from your video uh, as far as uh, I know you hit on quite a bit of them, but. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the coolest thing is just the maternal instinct. Um, the other thing is like the first time she had a litter with me, she was very standoffish and like really stared me down. And like my housemate who caught the first one tried getting photos and she struck at the door when he opened it then. Oh, shit. Okay. Uh, so she's gotten better. That's she, good. I think she knows what's up. I also don't push the boundary with her. I give these animals space. Um, they don't like, they don't like you being in their face. You can't, you can't get uh, get away unscathed trying to push a face back in. You're gonna bleed. Um, so there, so you cannot there's no boop snooting. There's no booping. None. No, if your rainbow oh. lets you boop snoot. You have a broken it's dead. snoot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, every single one of my that's rainbows. A, that's a market. I did that. Yeah. That's that's a that's a mark in the negative column if I ever heard one. Yeah. So these animals, they're really. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What about mustaches? Is that good? You might you might no? be able to do it once. Okay. No dapper kind of dress at all. No bow ties. No negative. I'm dear yeah. God. Yeah. How no are they handling wise? They're yeah. really interesting. It's it's that's a behavioral thing in itself that's worth studying. Um, once they're comfortable with you, it, it's very noticeable. So uh, it's different at different stages, but for the most part, they if you go in and you take uh, a rainbow boa out that is stationary, they do two things. The first thing they do is they sort of like hold their position and tense up. And then they like look yeah. for what just touched them. So you have to be very deliberate and quick about getting them out. Don't put your hands in front of their face. If you're going to go from behind and scoop, that's pretty effective or come under the bedding or, or even using a hook. But typically they like sort of hold whatever body posture they're in at first because they like to sit in a tight coil. And so it's much easier for them to defend themselves if their whole body is in a clear space and they can just turn their head and, you know, at any given moment be within a few inches of their target. So they sort of do this freeze frame sort of thing if they don't instantly light you up. Usually the babies will instantly light you up and then they grow to think a little bit more for a few seconds and maybe interpret what's going on. Um, they do have a little bit of personality variation, but like they hit, you know, a year or two old uh, and they, if you're frequently handling them, they're great. Usually the first month of newborn babies, they're just little little boxing gloves. They're just bam, 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 bam everything. <laughs> right. And then they get used to you picking them up and cleaning and changing water and stuff. And then that settles down. And then you've got to, you know, sort of teach them that when I first go to scoop you up, think. And if you do it right, that's good. If you go straight overhead, you're going to get bit on a palm. If you try and go from a side thing or behind, typically they'll give you a grace period to think. And as long as you're just delicate and you support them, you know, if you just hold them in your hand for a split second or a couple seconds, they, they'll settle down for a sec. And if you let them look at what's going on, then they're okay. And you just got to let them start moving. And once they start moving, you're really good. You can sort of let them, you know, glide through your hands, do their thing. Um, you do have to teach them to break away from that head shy behavior. I find there's 
there's animals that um, learn pretty quickly not to be head shy, and then there's some that you have to be a little more deliberate with it. And usually getting them out, holding them, and doing some under-the-chin rubs from while you're holding them is the best way to sort of breach that tension and that awkward point. You never want to do full top head rubs or boop in the snoot or anything because that that always pisses them off. Um, but yeah, you can get them to a point where once they're cruising in your hands, they're not so tense, they're not so defensive about you, and then that's when you start making your progress as far as getting them used to your whole hand running down the length of the body or touching the tail or, you know, and you guys know with baby carpets, if you are really like flinchy and stuff like that, you sort of, they, you make them a little bit bitier as babies, but if you're just you deliberate the opportunity. Yeah. yeah. And if you're just deliberate with them, like I've seen Nick do it with babies, just grabs them, hold them by the head and he's like, whatever you do that a few times, they figure it out really, really quick. Um, as long as you don't overdo it, there are species that would can be overhandled for sure. Mm-hmm. But um, that being said, I don't I don't handle these guys frequently, um, just because I have so many. And what I do is, if I need to get them out for cleaning, they're already usually in some sort of a ball. I'll grab a coil that's away from the head. I'll just pick them up and I'll just hold them in my hand for a few seconds and do whatever I got to do. And usually after a few seconds, they're like cruising around. Some of them get motoring too. You'll just pick them up and they're just like. Phew! They're like, you know, a slip and slide in your hand. They're fun. But, yeah, you just got to let them have a few moments when you pick them up to figure out what's going on. And then as far as larger animals go, um, my big girl, I'll, I'll touch with a hook much like you do with retics and berms and tap train. And then you can grab a different coil. But I actually pull her out with the hook because they oftentimes like to lie in a, a sort of a tight coil or a tight circle. And they they hit like blood pythons and they don't really give you too many tells when they're going to strike. Like the tongue flicking will stop and that's pretty much the only sign you get. And they don't really tongue flick it. as it is. So they, it's really hard to tell if they're just tense trying to figure out what's going on or if they're waiting for you to come closer. Um, and you just got to get to know your animal. So, you know, with a big female, always good to, you know, start the contact with the hook. And then once you get them moving, then you can drop the hook and use your hands, much like a retic, but probably more forgiving. Gotcha. Um, but, yeah, they have a pretty heavy food response. So, but they're just shy and defensive, too. So it's like two layers to it. Okay. Okay. What about as far as, um, you know, you know how, like, with, uh, you know, I don't know jungle carpets there's uh you know cover girl line is there specific lines um that uh with these guys that uh some some are you know better quality red or you know whatever yeah absolutely um a lot of folks selectively breed for high red lines so you'll have you know different um breeders who have their pursued pioneered like lines of high reds like ike lightners high reds are very sought out um for and i actually have a a high red female from him uh dave calling has a few lines and much like we focus on certain animals that we remember like like, you know we remember poison ivy we remember you know all these names madam blueberry um there are individuals like that um that like the you you know people will seek out babies from that that female or that male because they throw really nice reds but then there's there's certain lines where it's like a polygenic trait much like tiger so there's a there's a picasso stripe line where uh it's not necessarily 
an incomplete dominant or recessive trait is just polygenic, Poly and yeah, and it, and it blends the dorsal rings together. So instead of them being like individual circles or maybe two together, you'll get a bunch of them together, and it forms sort of like a reverse stripe. So there's lines like that. Um, there's, I believe, a couple different lines of the hypomelanism trait, and you know, depending who you ask, some like this one, some like that one. One's a little more pink, one's a little more coral. Um, one shows the black a little bit more, one doesn't. Um, so, you know, there's some lines in that. And then, uh, yeah, other than that, you know, there's a lot of selective breeding for like the pearls or the, the bull's eyes on the sides or, you know, all black. A lot of that is line bred stuff. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely that. But then there's also a lot of morphs, too. Yeah, what are the genetic mutations like? Uh, oh, man, um, just them I would, all right now. I have a bunch I don't of order. <laughs> I and they're inherited traits. Yeah, I probably don't even know all the morphs that are out there because Dave Calling is kind of the uh, the master of those. He's he's pioneered a lot of them and done the right thing with them as far as kept entire litters and proved out. Yep, there you go. So there's see there's and this is this is the two kind of people you're working with. Him who's gotten the book and read it cover to cover and he's like, I'm ready, and I'm like, Yeah, sure, I'll give it a shot. Like, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. No, you, it's there's a lot more out there than you'd realize. There are two types of albinism. There's a T positive and a T negative. Uh, those Damn. are fairly new, fairly expensive still. Um over in Europe, there's a piebald. Over in, I think, uh, it's either Denmark or the Netherlands, a, a breeder by the name of Rolf Mikkelsen uh, has probably the cornerstone on that market. Um, there's a couple of hypos, which are recessives. The albinos are recessives. The piders recessive. Um, there's, like, Picasso stripe, which is polygenic. There's a uh, candy stripe, which I believe is incomplete dominant and does have a super form. There's xanthic, where it's like a yellow animal. Um, what? Stop. Yeah, there's, there's, uh, what else? There's, oh, there's something. Yeah, there you go. There's <laughs> what the, the hell is that? What the hell is that? That's a calico, I think, right? Yeah. See it? Yeah, so they they're born normal and then they lose pigment. That's as what the Dominicans do. People yeah. are like, are your Dominicans gonna be pied? I'm like, they're of the line, which basically tells you that at four, all of a sudden, it could just turn freaking white. Like, well, yeah. I don't know. It's basically the opposite of an IMG. It's like a DMG. A <laughs> DMG. DMG. Yeah, like That's it. what they should have called it because it's not calico. Um, it doesn't have, like, speckling and stuff. But, like, the end result might look slightly calico depending on what color remains at the end of the transition. Um, but there's, like, pearls and where, like, the tops are, like, pearls and the sides are pearls. There's uh, zebras where the, the dorsal stripes get, like, stretched out like footballs on the side, and they literally look like a banded zebra rainbow boa. It, dude, and there's so much more, too. Like, I, I don't know. What the hell? Look at that one. That's, like, me and you, Owen. That's yeah. like a tiger. That's, yeah. like, that, that's, like, that's what you're trying to do with those striped... Uh, striped... Yeah, Postals, that's called a, uh, yeah. a candy stripe. Yep, the candy yeah. stripe and the right. super candy stripes. If you go look up Rainbow's RS and you look up his super candy stripes. Is dude, there he, a... He brings, um, he brings a few adults to the shows and he'll put them in the in the display. Like he'll put an albino, a hypo, a super candy stripe. People are all over it. They're yeah. for sale. I'm like, you bastard. 
So, but um, is there um, a, a melt or a nanny? No, we have better names. Uh, I kind of we have we have big boy names. I don't know where you yeah. guys fall, but I'm looking at the difference between a high orange and a high yellow. I kind of like the high orange. Yeah, I mean, a high too. red. I'm sorry, high orange and high, high red. red. Whatever high red. your finger was on, yeah. High reds are just, they don't seem real when you see them in person. The red is, like, so saturated. You're like, that's, my eyes are photoshopping this right now. And then you take photos of it, and you're like, god damn, this photo sucks compared to looking at <laughs> You have to turn the brilliance up. You have to turn the saturation up. You got to turn the shadows down, the highlights up, and maybe you'll get an accurate color. But, wow. dude, they're stupid in person, like. Like cherry tomato, but like more red. And then the worst thing is, too, you can't tell what your babies are really going to look like. You can get an idea that, you know, these ones are going to be a little on the lighter side and these are going to be darker. But, like, you don't know which direction they're going to go from there because there's, like, subdivisions of that. So, like, if you're breeding a high red to a high red, you're going to increase the odds that most of those babies are going to come out very high red, just like the parents. It's very heritable like that. However, you'll get some that will come out like a flat red. Like it's, it's red, but it, it doesn't pop. It isn't super vibrant. And it almost, almost looks like a burgundy purple sometimes. And there's, that's a cool look, but, um, when you're shooting for the high red, that's not the the cougar of that litter for sure. But they, okay. they can look better than, you know, you can see some real average B-grade Brazilians uh, that, like, they look fantastic for the first three years, and then they hit year four, and then they look like a, you know, a dirty brown. So is that, uh, so with, with these guys, are we going by, Carpet python development of colors where they kind of come out e and then they kind of ramp up yep. and then plateau or is it ball python colors where they come out looking amazing and then they just kind of do this and it's like, I, I would say they they never well I, I don't know I guess plateau isn't plateauing actually is an accurate way to describe it they hit a high point and then they just never go down um, I think they start out kind of like an off muted pink not very vibrant almost opaque right out of the the get-go and then they have their first shed and it's like a really dull pink dull purple dull red nothing fancy but you can see it in there and you know that like when it really comes in it's going to be there so they definitely start out a little drab at first but they they pick up stride in color within like two sheds or so and then each time it's like this is a brand new animal every time and the color gets better and better and better but I've never seen an adult that, like, you know, at four looked worse than it did at two, unless it was some average, like, you know, wholesale sort of whatever. But if it's if it's coming from good color stock, um, they just keep getting better and better up until like three and four. Like, I've got a four-year-old who keeps getting better. So, but I imagine cool. there's a limit to that at some point. <laughs> Now, for the market for these guys, do you kind of see it like they've been gaining speed over the last couple of years, or is uh, and do you kind of what do you kind of attribute to their popularity? Yeah, the the market has definitely grown. I remember when you used to find rainbows on like Triple L's table for like 150 bucks, and they actually weren't bad looking. Um, 
And nowadays, I'm actually behind the curve. Uh, I was going to, you know, price all of my babies this season for just 250 across the board and not even, you know. That's not worry, bad. Worry about male or female. Well, I think that's pretty normal, and I'm coming to find out that, you know, that's actually on the lower end nowadays and that, you know, 325 is kind of uh, almost an industry, like, average. That's from, where the – for like yeah. a breeder's, you know, decent quality sort of thing. Like, it, you know, if you want a high red from Ike or somebody like that, you're going to pay four plus hundred dollars, right? Four, five, it's, you know, something like that. But is it basically my my coastal is 150, um, dealer table coastal seventy five dollars. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, but that's not to say that you know it's a huge disparity. So, but I think the market is growing. When when I was selling babies initially, I was selling them at two hundred bucks, and they're flying out the door. And then the next right. season, two twenty five and two fifty, and out the door, gone in three months. And this season, I'm going to do two fifty or so. I think again. I mean, I've already talked to folks and said two fifty, so I feel like I should hold myself to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. Um, yeah, I think the market is on an upswing, and I think part of it is because there's this like industry-wide search for something different that it sort of breaks away from the norm that adds that little bit of variety to everybody's life, whatever it ends up being. You know, everybody's kind of getting tired of the mainstream stuff, and they want to dabble in other things. So I think that wave has circled back around, and that plays a big role. But I also think rainbows have always sort of caught at least a, a small majority of people's eyes. They've never been like the unheard of animal. They've always been like, oh, yeah, I always forgot about those. I should do that sort of thing. And they've always had a little bit of a steam to them. But I think nowadays people looking for something different, looking for something unique and naturally colorful. And I think, you know, the ball python stuff has people kind of turned off from morph chasing. They just want something different that's naturally beautiful. And it's hard not to like the look of a rainbow boa, even if you're not a boa person or a live bear or whatever. You see that and you're like, well, damn, that's pretty cool. I don't care who you are. And so I think there's some of that desire in people's lives now. Um, And then, you know, they start looking into it and they find, you know, Ike or Dave or myself. And they always ask out of season. It's always the wrong time of year that people are asking for them. They're always asking too soon or too late. Right. And and every year I'm like, where were you in August, dude? It's January. These babies have been sold for months. Yeah. Uh, and I think I think telling people no, I'm out, or they sold really quick, or the price has gone up, like just a limited limited supply because not everybody's breeding them. I think uh, because of, again, the intermediate level of like humidity and care and stuff isn't also for everyone. I think they're kind of in this nice little position to just steadily grow to whatever they plateau at. Now, that being said, you know, I, I don't think they should be some like, you know, where just a standard rainbow bow is like $600, you know, like mm-hmm. as much as I would love to be able to make <laughs> money off of whatever. That's not why I keep them. That's not why I do it. And to be honest, I know there's plenty of young keepers out there that see these animals that when they hit me up and they tell me what's the price and I say 250 and they're like, okay, I need to save up for that. But I know they're the kind of person that's like, I saw that it's beautiful. I spent the next few weeks trying to figure out what it was, where it came from this and that, just like any of us. Right. And those are the people who are really going to appreciate those animals, even if they're not the most experienced keeper. Mm-hmm. 
And I'll tell you, if they were overpriced for the, you know, any reason, I I might not have ever gotten into them. Um, you know, the Morrison things, the price tag is what keeps me away. But honestly, um, these things are freaking beautiful and variable in their own right. I don't feel like I'm missing out by not having Morse. I enjoy looking at them. I would love to have some, but I'm not running out to, you know, budget and spend money for them because. Right. Dude, have you seen one of these things? They like they don't need morphs. No. They're out there. Yeah, this is a perfect example of one of those things where it's like, yeah, that's cool, but you really don't. Yeah, man. The wild know. one still holds the value of you know. I made, exactly. Yeah. I made I made the mistake of going to Rainbows R Us as you guys <laughs> were just chatting, and I'm looking at the guy's collection, and holy <sighs> shit! Oh my god! Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We, I see what you're talking about with the high red. Like, yeah. where it's not uh-huh. even being real. It's just, it just doesn't look real. It does not yeah. look real. So when I see Eric in like two weeks, three weeks, I mean, am I taking all your carpets because now you're going to pivot to rainbows? Nah. Like, is this where you're going? Okay. <laughs> nah, nah. I, Jason, rainbows. That's yeah. all he's going to be doing. Yeah. That's uh, like a good uh, Kermit the Frog song, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> You guys were talking, you're trying to talk yourselves out of it. I was listening to that today, and you're like, oh, I don't know, stay focused. And I was like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I, find, don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Whether I help convince him not to do something or push him over the cliff that he's trying not to go over really just depends on my mood for the day. I think, so I think, I don't know. I think I'm, I'm, I've, I've hit some kind of. Uh oh. Um, next stage of my herping <laughs> keeping career if you will um i find myself more and more moving away from wanting to create a morph not that colors I, you know yeah. i love that stuff don't get me wrong i, I say this all the time because i'm afraid that people are always going to take what i'm saying and like you know it's, it's like but I, I just see myself as wanting to have different species that have interesting habits or are interesting to keep or are different than something that I normally, and it's not even so much about the breeding aspect of it, which, you know, obviously as being somebody that wants to complete the cycle of life, if you will, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like you want to see it from beginning to end. Um, You know, that's sort of what captivates me about breeding. But I I just see myself moving to say, I think I could probably have less and be more satisfied and maybe a little bit more variety than Australian python, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? It it does. And it's one of those things of that. If you can have bigger cages, this, that, and this other stuff, see the things and then have the variety of the cool species. Like my thing is I want to produce the weird, the hard, the fringe. I mean, that's what got me to carpets anyway. Everybody else was doing everybody else was doing ball pythons and corn snakes and all this stuff, and I wanted carpets. And then and then I got into carpets and everybody was doing jungles. I'm like, no, no, no I want these dirt brown long ones over here that nobody wants. And then Jag came in and threw that wrench in that work. But it's like <laughs> Yeah. But it's like, and that's things I want to do the weird fringe stuff. So having all those different species really does build up and make for a really cool collection. I mean, Riley here has rainbow bows, carpets, Kribo, 
in the Madagascar Hogs, which before you jump off, I'm making you hold one of your adults because I need to compare. Ah, okay. Your, yeah, because I need to know if I'm. <laughs> Ryan was like, damn it. No, no, no yeah, I don't care. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get, I'll, no, I'll get peed on probably. Either one. So um, that'll make for good, good video though. It will. So, and it's just one of those things where it, it's interesting. Like, dude, it's like, I think I was sitting here the other day and I'm like, you know, we were talking with the post uh, breeding season show. And I'm like, bummed I didn't get Kribo eggs and the Ruffy eggs died. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, that sucks. It just sucks. And it's all down. And then I'm like, no, I did get olive eggs. And, yeah. And rhinos. Yeah, like, yeah, I got Two a bunch clutches. of carpet stuff too. Like, you know, it's, Carpets gonna, will forever have I'm my heart, able, man. When, when I, Rob comes in here this this in a couple weeks, I'm gonna be able to show him the eggs. Like he's gonna, I'm gonna like I'm gonna, gonna sit him so down proud and be like, of you. look at look at this. Like I want approval. Yeah. <laughs> it's like <laughs> I think somebody made the equivalent of Rob's like the Yoda. Of, uh, he is. He just, <laughs> he's the Yoda. All right, I am. That's a. Is that? That's not a. That's not a Madagascar. That's a rainbow. Oh, uh, oh, look, it's oh, what the white shit. is going on. Oh, oh shit. shit. She's starting to. It's getting late enough where, like, it's starting to creep up a little bit. But they have a white belly. But, yeah, it's she'll be she'll be white by the night for sure. We should have never done the show this this late because I'm not allowed to technically talk yeah. to Riley after yeah, 9 o'clock. We drink. Yeah, and I had, oh, my God, this is a trap. Uh, All of this yes, is a trap. You're done. <laughs> I see you. Yeah. Son of a bitch. They're yeah, this snakes, is, man. This is a this is a 2016 female that I I held back for my first litter. So see what I mean? They do this like they sort of ball up a little bit when they're shy and they just hold on. Right. Which is easy. But once you get them going, then they're just like, right. like they open up and they realize, okay, we're we're not being messed with. We're not, you know, this is a predator. She's tongue flicking. She's kind of like, what the hell? You never hold me, but she's not trying to eat me or anything. If if Bradley gets bit, he breaks the cherry of being the first one to bleed on the NPR video. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm gonna so, have to pull the trigger on them, man. <laughs> you know? They're they're fun, dude. I mean, I the if, hardest if getting more end up in the box that goes to Eric's house. I mean, I'm not gonna be angry <laughs> if that's what you're asking. So. Yeah, the one thing we didn't ask, I didn't ask this question real quick before we go on to, we do, I guess to close out, we'll do the, the hog nose thing or whatever. If you want to, Riley, you don't have to, no pressure. No, no, he That's has to. I he has to. I'm part of this show. He has to grab the how hog many, nose. How many babies is the litter usually, typically? I Average said that and I missed it, but. No, I, I didn't. Uh, average is like 12 to 18 um, okay. for you know, most size females. So it's a good size, but uh, I've, I've never had an average litter. I've always had above average because it's always been the, the really big female. Um, again, just goes to show like there is a correlation between size and clutch size. You know, yeah. like bread lie, same thing. You have a massive bread lie, you get 40 eggs. You have an average bread lie, you get 20 or whatever. Right. Um, <laughs> and you always get 40. Right. Uh, and, and, no, wait, an average bread lie will give you, um, I think my one female, she dropped close close to 20, and then my other one dropped to like woo. 22, 20-something. 20 oh, like. it, was a, it was a lot, all right? Come on. Uh, low 20s, okay. Was that the one you were trying to give me half the collection? I'm like, no. Give me four. <laughs> four. 11 of them, right? You're like, I want four. Four. I want four. Two Get pairs. out of my house. That's all, all right. I want. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, you could you could realistically expect 
you know, 15 babies every time or so, um, unless something yeah. goes wrong or like mom was small or underfed and then she slugs out a bunch. Again, uh, very similar to carpets. As yeah, yeah, now. definitely. My now, so the obviously this girl was an absolute power fed fat monster when I got her. Um, and actually breeding her was great in thinning her out because then I just didn't push her back up to that point. Right. But um, she, her first litter was uh, 34 live babies and one stillborn. Okay. Son of a bitch. Yeah, it was too much. I, uh, I actually had to double up uh, babies in tubs, like 10 tubs had two babies. Cause I was like that, that who, nobody told me of this. <laughs> nobody warned me. I, I have, um, I have, I have five baby bins open. I have 13 yeah. bread lie eggs coming. And then I have 18 rhino rat snake eggs coming. And I have 18 corn snakes. Do you need and I have five bins open. Five, <laughs> five bins. You need, you need some plastic inserts and some hot glue, my friends. And so divide those tubs in two. That or it's like I'm just gonna like all the corn snakes are gonna hatch and I'm just gonna drive over to Joe's and just be like, oh, you, you take yeah. corn snake sell and then run away. So yeah, doorbell ditch ring for all these run away DoorDash yeah. reptiles. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Disguise oh. myself as a pizza man and just, you know open the box and throw corn snakes at them. Right. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, so 34 live babies, one stillborn first time. Second time around was 22 live babies, and then this year was. She's about, you know, because she's slimmed down, it's a little bit better yes. for her, and that's yeah. yeah. So yeah. what about? So that was this time the second letter or third? This was her third letter, and this time the numbers actually went back up. So Damn she, had, <laughs> yeah. So she's not slowing down. These animals, I think these animals could live into their 30s and 40s, no problem. Like what Warren Booth is finding out with a lot of the Central American boas, easily making it into the 30s and 40s. I think I think that goes for a lot of these animals. Um, she had 23 live babies this year and four slugs. Okay. So that's 27 ovaries that went the distance, whether they were fertilized or not, um, which is bigger than last season. So, you know, th I think there's definitely something to be said for, you know, you'll get a litter based on how well you feed your animal leading up to that point. Um, and if she's mature enough, it will depend on the size. But if you feed them well, you don't overheat them. You don't drop them too cold in the winter at all. Like just down, like, like I said, 75, not that low. Um, you just never let them get too hot, never let them get too cold. You feed them every couple of weeks. They will breed. They will do it for you. And if mom is, is well fed, um, she should produce a healthy litter. You know, as, as we're getting up to... You know, the month, well, actually, probably this next coming month, I should get her going. The gal I just pulled out, uh, I want to breed for the first time. Um, but, yeah, you feed them up. Feed them up real good in the fall right before you drop them uh, so you can up the feeding rate during that time. But, man, they've they've literally, and I feel like each year I say this, I'm like, wow, my sample size is only whatever it is, and I'm just getting lucky. But, like, every year the results are very consistent. Big, healthy litters with babies that literally eat right off the rip. No sweat. So. I've had pretty good. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if there's something in the air or whatever, but, like, all my babies are solid, man. All nice. even. They're on probably, I think, I'm, I'm now on the fourth meal. None of them yeah, have refused. All my coastals are, but the one I got from you is giving me trouble. I don't know why. <laughs> I think we moved her too early. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Really? Uh, she refused twice. She ate once, so she's not. 
Man, all right. I'm probably going to drive around. But hey, the, all my coastal babies, they all took their meals. First ones offered, except for like three or four. Nice. J- jungle babies. I'm like, you need this to live. You need to <laughs> damn food. So, yeah. And the, yeah. Jungle, the jungles were born in April. And Ooh. I'm going to have coastals ready before them. Yeah. My uh, my coastal clutch this year, uh, all but. Feels good to say that, don't it? Yeah, <laughs> got my pixels. Yeah. Rip that painted off finally. Um, yes, uh, ten of them ate no problem. Three of them gave me a little bit of a delay, and actually one of them is hitting two months old and still hasn't even had its first shed or first meal. Really? And then I had yeah, and I had five babies that. Um, I, granted, and this is why I think it's heat related. I think when things are hot, these animals don't want to do anything. They don't want to eat. They don't want to shed. They don't want to do anything. And we had yeah. 100 degree days where my room got up into the high 80s, and it was during these animals' like first couple weeks of life. So a few shed and a few held on for a few extra weeks, but were happy to eat before their first shed, mm-hmm. just because I was like, well, I don't know what's going on. You're all fired up, biting the shit out of me. <laughs> um, but yeah, so as I'm sitting here, of the 13 coastals, there is one male head exanthic that has not shed or fed for me. Everyone else shed and feeding. Hmm. So, yeah, my uh, my caramel exanthic had his second shed today. He how's he look? I hmm, I'm like trying to get him to sit still so I can take a picture of him, and he's like <laughs> all over the place. I'm like. <laughs> He's it, he looks good. He's got white on his belly that bleeds up his sides, and I'm like, what the hell is that? Nice, so, very nice. I'm gonna call him a piebald and see what happens. You gotta see. No? Don't do that. Oh, you gotta <laughs> see these IJs, man. I, you know, I, I pro, I, you know, I definitely the banded ones. You know, if Ooh. you want, we'll go. With Were those the, the red ones? Were we'll those the red ones that even I was like, oh my god, yeah. Yep. Those those are the PC Bell clutch, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, those are sick. Yeah. Well, they look like melted red wax, dude. Yeah. Um, th- now that they're start, you know how IJs have that they're born red, and then they start to like every other every shed. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. okay, those colors color. are starting to yeah. come in. You know, it's like sort of my favorite. One of my favorite things about them, they seem to do that more oh, yeah. so than any other carpet. But uh, oh yeah, um, cool. All right. Cool. Um, pull out a Madagascar this way I can compare. Go. All get right. now. Go. Move. All right. Dum, 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 dum. He's going to pull his out, and we're going to find oh, out. Like, shit oh. on the glass. Yes. Oh, no. He's going to yeah. grab this thing. We're going to find out that it broke my Madagascar. You know. Now, question with these. Are, are, are yeah. these guys, have we figured out, that? Uh, are, this, are they venomous? Are they? Yes. 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 Okay. They're like Western <laughs> hogs. Are you the one that got the bite, Owen? I got bit by a baby. Yeah, and you were like, "Oh shit, I don't know." How yeah, my my go. finger kind of got itchy a little bit. But they were babies, and they remember the last show with Phil. Uh, he was like, "The blonde bit his friend, and the whole arm got big." Oh, stop it! Oh no! Oh, uh, you, you love me. Remember, you, you know you love me. Remember. Poor guy. Oh, we need juice. smell of it. Oh, it's all over the. Uh, it's everywhere. Oh, he's wiping it on me. Cool. Uh, I can oh, smell it through the shit. Oh. Did you break yours again? No, <laughs> no, no, but I'm no, but I'm close. Oh my god, I'm this close. Is male. This is my male. He's actually um, probably a little bit bigger than both of my females. 
Oh God. Dude, then I'm right in it. Like I'm I'm close. I might be able to put them together this year. The uh the female that produced my my one oh god, it's all over me. I have to shower again now. Good. Uh, Good. The, now, now we've done what we should be doing. Yeah. The female that produced last year, I would compare her size wise to his are so much more chill than mine. Even like though he's getting pissed on. Well, this guy will let me handle him. He's cool. The other two are worse. Um, Let's say but, it, mine would have the hoods. They'd be all over. They'd be hissing. They'd be going yeah, insane. Yeah. yeah. My my females will will hood and and hiss. And uh, one of them, the one who didn't breed, will actually like bluff strike and headbutt at me. Yeah. And we love these things. Remember, Eric, these are our favorites. So oh, I'm expecting a snake of the day write up on these guys. Uh, you know, on my guys, Riley, submit that week. to Eric. Yeah, write, yeah. Up, write that up and submit it to Eric. And sign it Owen McIntyre, right? That's right. Yeah. Just like in school. Yeah, yeah exactly. He's <laughs> a cool snake. Yeah, this, cool this guy is he's cool. He's got a good personality. And the nice thing is, if you're a carpet person looking for an et cetera species, these guys, I keep them the exact same as my carpets yeah. as far as temps go. I just give them a little more space and some bedding and, and a bigger I, water bowl. Yeah. I finally got the speckled female back on food. And she wants – and it's great. She's, she's my perfect thing right now because – if she wants smaller meals, but she'll eat like 10 or 12 at a time. So yeah. I'll literally pull out the fuzzies that the carpets don't eat, like the baby carpets, mm-hmm. put them in a bowl and leave it in her cage. And she will come and eat them all. And then it's very, it's like, very natural. Whatever. They're so nest breeders, man. Yep. So now the speckleds, all the, the speckleds are eating and gaining size and getting back to where they were. The blondes, they both put on a ton of weight. Um, this past season, eating nothing but live, so they're all good to go. And then the 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 Giants are eating like fish, chicken wings. So which species? Everything is this? So which one is it? That's the Giant. This is the Giant. Okay. Yep. Yeah, these are Madagascarians. Then you have uh, Leoheterodon modestus, which That's are the blondes. Blondes. And, and then, then you have Gai, which are the speckles. Speckles. Yep. Yeah. And they're. They're smaller than this, but they're still yep. bigger than the westerns. Gay eye are gorgeous. Like they're the speckling on them, beautiful. it's not like any other speckling on any like yeah. speckled um, Florida kings. Whatever doesn't look like them at yeah. all. Really. It says the background is buckskin, and then all the speckling on them is black, red, orange, and gold. And it's they're just, my favorite. Out of they look like confetti of all these natural earth colors blown up on a snake. Wow. Yeah. So I need I need one more blonde. I need a blonde male, or I might even swap out the ex, the other female because we got I have a pair of big ones of larger blondes, and then I have this small blonde that is just annoying as shit. No, um, but I, okay. I need another pair of speckles, and I need probably another pair of blondes, and then Riley and I will figure out the extra giants later on. Yeah. So. So, with. Are they are they close? Well, I don't even know. But like just looking at their nose, as opposed to what we see with hognose hognose, they look more like a Baron's racer to me. Are they? It, it's actually more of like along the lines of somebody took a bull snake and kind of just smashed its head a little bit. Like it's <laughs> they kind of have a blocky bull snake like head. Yeah. And you're yeah. right. It doesn't upturn. 
It doesn't in have this, it, you know yeah. how like those yeah. barren racers don't have they have like a little yeah. bit of a the, they have the little horn like yeah. a rhino horn yeah. yeah that's a good comparison you know and and the jawline almost reminds me of of that of like a boom slang the way it curves up real angular uh, and uh, water snake it, it yeah I mean, it's very yeah. all your bread esque um and it's like, yeah. seems as of like the past couple years that. I'm going to say colubrids, but colubrids, whatever. Um, we have to find out. What is the correct way to say that? No, we're never going to know. Didn't somebody tell us that it's like, it just I depends. thought I was correct. Okay. Yeah, right. I'm right. No matter I, what they're saying, I was correct. What do you say? I feel, like, I feel like I've always said colubrid, but that doesn't mean I'm right. And I actually think now that you look at like Latin stuff and and any other words that have a, a U in there, it's never pronounced U without something else profound after it. Oh, shit, I got a hog nose sneaking out. Uh, <laughs> stop it. Stop you, it. Eric and I will talk. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Get back in there. Okay. So we're going to go with call you, Brit. That's, that's on NPR. We're going to go call you, Brit. All right. But it, you are correct, though. And they're catching fire, and they're really kind of cool. And I, I just love it because you can sit there and be like, hey, man, these things are badass. And everybody kind of is, it, it, it's like, it's like how many times are we going to do this song and dance where they're really badass, but nobody's really paying attention to them. And then Madagascar shuts down import exportation. And then they're like, oh man, we wish you'd all gotten them when they were here. Like uh, we've, we've been here before. Right. So yeah. So it's not it's, just with pythons that that happens. It's pretty yeah. much with everything. <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to go grab if, if, See, this is the problem is, you know, COVID once again has screwed me. Um, I was planning this summer to grab, like, just by going to shows and seeing who brought in what. Oh, I, the youngest yeah, I could get, like, I was going to try to see, because uh, after I bought everything and ran out of all snake money, somebody had a captive hatched um, clutch of the speckleds, and then I found somebody who captive hatched the blondes, and that's that's what you want. I mean, that's what my giants are. They're captive hatched. Right. So, yeah, and very much like your your problem with finding white lips. Um, I don't want to talk about that because I got an even it's a, dude. It's the same thing. Dagger to my heart today when somebody's like, "Black faces are in. They're only five grand a pair." I'm what? Like, what? Oh yeah. Of course. Oh, dude, we got to stop talking about shit on the show. I quit. I quit. <laughs> I quit. Yeah, I will never find a female. You'll just die alone. You gotta, well, yeah. We got to wait till you have a pair, and then we start talking yeah. about them. Then we have to talk <laughs> until about, you yeah. secured We your talk about nothing till I paired up my shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, giant hogs, you know, there's that huge boom for something different from ball pythons and, and people, you know, find Western hognose cute. So you've got all these people that they're like, Oh, hognose is a hognose. So these ones are bigger and they're cute. So I'm going to go get them. And so you have a bunch of people that like have one Madagascar giant hognose and they're like, look how cute it is. Even though it's the spawn of Satan because it just came in from Madagascar and they're like, what's an import. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Eric, I'll, I'll, I'll take you. To school when you guys are here, and I'll I'll pull out one of the giants. Or what I'll usually do is I open their bin and let them do what they do, and they'll they'll pop up, they'll hiss up, and then they'll run into their hide box, and then it's like, all right, so then you can do what you have to do. Is this the baby? Are you going to show me the baby? <gasps> the baby's chill. The baby's look at her. Well, she's she's ten months old now. So this is the one oh, that produced. Uh, yeah, she's yeah. good looking. Look at her. 
Yeah, I don't know if she still has it. Let me see. You need to put her in a box. She's got a red throat, dude. Oh, nice. It's kind of faded a little bit, but there's all this pink tone. And what's really interesting is there's color change going on. So everywhere on the back where you see, like... The creamy color? Yeah, yeah. it's turning yellow. And then the dude, top that's... of her head's turning yellow. I showed you that with mine. I'm like, it, yeah. it, it just, it was, you know... Uh, they just shed one day. I'm like, where'd all this freaking yellow come from? Like, yeah, it's wow, dude. These things are amazing. You feed them and they grow instantly. Like after oh, every yeah. meal, they grow. Huh? And they'll eat. Uh, my guys, I just leave their food on like these pieces of cork bark that are in their cage, and then I leave. Like that's yeah. it. Like they don't. Yeah. And they'll eat. Uh, right now, I think mine are eating like a rat weanling for one meal, and then like their next meal might be two two chicks and a piece of fish. Yeah. And then their next meal is, uh, I thought too many chicken wings. Here's one for you. Like, they'll eat their garbage disposals, and I love it. Yeah, yeah. I actually caught my females trying to steal food from one another last week. Mm. Oh, really? Yeah. I was like, what? What is this behavior? So I had to, like, put one in her face, and then I was like, you never take food from the tongs. What the hell? I'm, I'm thinking about cohabbing them, but um, I really like the idea. Well, I've been cohabbing my blue beauties. And I separate them for feeding, so I like having the empty cage right below them. <laughs> so once I stop not being lazy, um, then yeah. I don't separate these for feeding. I just I put I put the mat. Well, they kind of have their spots where they're usually at, yeah. and they flinch when you put food in. So if there's two together, you go with them first, and one will run off. So and you feed that one that stays. Them. Yeah, and then yeah. you hit the next one and the next one. And my male will always take food off the tongs. The other two, you got to catch them at the right time. This girl is just starting to take food off the tongs within the last month. Wow. Yeah. You notice a big difference between the the, the parents and, say, this one that uh, you produced? Yeah, the yeah. parents are psycho. This <laughs> one is like, yeah, well, I mean, she would hood up a little bit at first, but she was never anything like the parents and the parents have gotten better but like to be fair they're never going to be like this animal there is a threshold for them where you're in their face too much and you're over stressing them and they'll tell you they'll fling shit everywhere they'll fling piss all over you they like wildcats don't want to be held there's not a single madagascar giant hog nose that wants to be held that is a wildcat. you get one generation in you raise them and just like any other babies, they get used to picking them up and cleaning and spot cleaning. And they know nothing different, so they're okay. So one generation in is a totally different ball game. Wild cots, you just got to be prepared that you're not going to handle that snake. And it's not going to like you. I wish I kind of handled mine more when they were tiny. Um, but, I do. They again, they grow fast. I got them, they were in deli cups, and then they blew through my five quart bins and then then my 32s and or went yeah five to 15 to 32s now they're in 41s and i'm yeah. like ah, i gotta get them into big cages so yeah this thing has been growing like crazy i mean it was 24 grams when it was born last year and it's damn you know it's like the yeah. size of a re a, a newborn retic i just love how it's like i bought them and i told eric eric and then Riley texted me. <laughs> it's like <laughs> within minutes. Within minutes, I'm walking down the floor with them, and Riley's just blowing up my phone. Right. And I'm like, "Yeah, I kind of got them, and I think they're cool." He goes, "Read these papers." I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, they're fun. They've they've been nothing but humbling for me as a keeper. 
Um, just when I think I'm onto something, I'm not. And then I have to reevaluate things like as far as experimenting with betting with them and, and then watching the camera footage and seeing behavior at different times of day or night that I was told is not something they do. And just, they're very humbling. And it reminds me that, um, you know, there's still plenty of fun challenges in just keeping animals, not even necessarily breeding. So they're, they're, they're pretty cool. They're refreshing. Any breeding activity this year? Yeah, tons of lockups, wrecking the cameras, you know, everything. I even got footage of some crazy breeding, but I don't know. At this time of year, I'd be expecting eggs. Um, if if my girl last season was any indicator, but and then I've also read that females won't eat right before they lay, and both of those girls ate for me last week. So I don't know. Tons mm-hmm. of lockups at the right time and everything, but I don't know. They they're just. I guess this year they're like, I don't know. And I, I, I was thinking like maybe I wasn't on top of um, the humidity in their enclosure as much as I should have been. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's something I didn't I didn't do as diligent of a job keeping bedding saturated to really reflect monsoon season as well as I did last year. So maybe that has something to do with it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool snake. So uh, yeah, dude. As you I dig them. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, uh, if if. If you haven't, if you're listening to this, I would recommend going and watch the video and uh, checking it out. <laughs> All of Riley's videos, the one with him, the Madagascar breeding and the uh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, rainbow dropping all her babies. Yeah. What's the, uh, so let's start there. What's your, what's your YouTube channel? Uh, it's just under my name, Riley Jimison. Okay. And uh, I think the, the, the like thumbnail image is my logo. Um, it's just the, the head stamp Riley's reptiles on there with the, the double R. And, uh, so that's, yeah, that's my YouTube, just Riley Jimison. Right. And, and as far as, uh, Facebook and Instagram, it's just Riley's reptiles or Riley's under Riley's underscore reptiles for Instagram. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I just cross post all over the place and I do, a YouTube video every week that I try to have out Wednesday morning and uh, I try to be pretty active on Instagram sharing photos. Cool. And then, of course, your podcast. Ah, uh... Uh, yes. How can I forget? <laughs> uh, I, like that. I just did. <laughs> uh, it's uh, the Reptile Room Podcast, and you can find it on any of the major platforms for podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, all that stuff, Apple, iTunes, all that good stuff. And uh, the next episode that should be coming out Wednesday is with uh, Mr. Omax Special here. Oh, the witty SOB. Yeah, yeah. Watch out, Reptile and Chill. You never had the throne, to be honest. Yeah, that was afterward. No, we we let you think you did. Yeah, yeah your futile <laughs> attempts to take it over were just child's play. Yeah. Uh, what are you going to do? I'm going to start a fight, <laughs> is what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm going to start, start picking fights with the well, podcast. I, I did listen I, to it's the been one, a while. I think the, yeah. the last episode I listened to, they were sort of saying about how um, they can't keep up. You know. Oh, well, I mean. He was saying that he can't keep up. There's too many reptile podcasts. and Because what it was, I think I was talking to you about this, Owen, and we talked about this on one of the shows, and it was um, um, they were talking about how they were so excited for you 
but you got rough scale. Oh, that was my heart. Yeah, that like, was that was. And at that, that point, when I'm listening right to it, I'm like, oh, yeah. they don't know. <laughs> they, they don't, don't know. know. It, Stop I talking. Had, Stop I actually talking. had customers ask me about roughies, and I'm like, not till next season. And then they listen to the last episode. They're like, we're sorry we asked. Yeah. I'm like, no. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Yeah. No, it's fine. It so Shit happens. Oh my Just god! Chill. Like I know, I know, like, I know. Oh, oh, I'm so I know. happy for Owen. He produced them. We listened to him yeah. for years. Talk about. Yeah, him. I know. Produced them. You know, it's, yeah, it's all right. I, and then I heard that episode. Yeah, that hand. did, right? Have, yeah, I heard that episode, and, I, and you guys had already, or Owen, oh, you had spilled the beans to me yeah. in private, and you're like, I haven't said anything about it. And I think the next day at work, I heard it. I was like. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's funny because you have on that hand, people are like, it's okay, buddy. And then you have on the other hand where James sends a picture where he has taken some sort of person who's in a hoodie in a shower <laughs> and superimposed my head on it. And he says, fuck it, I'll just breed corn snakes and sulcatas. And I'm like, so there's two sides to this coin. Sympathy and then kicking me while yeah. I'm down. So, you know. Oh, well, he's another podcast. Go ahead, take a shot. Yeah, can I start fights with that? Can I? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Right. I will start fights with as many as I can. Right. If you're a new reptile podcast, you gotta get jumped in by Owen McIntyre. <laughs> Listen, if you're gonna hit if you're gonna right. if you're gonna hit the king, you better kill the king. Okay. So Ooh, yes, I, I see. I see how you're going there. Okay. All right. I know. Well, I think uh, I don't know, man. I think if you're on the fence about rainbows, I think uh, you did a pretty awesome job about uh, you know, uh, uh, dispelling some of the misconceptions about uh, about them, and uh, I think if, I, like I said at the beginning, I think if you're into carpets and you're looking for something different, I think that they would uh, be a be a nice little uh, addition to the collection. <laughs> the but, choice between Dominican Red Mountain Boa, you chose poorly, <laughs> Owen. <laughs> I chose poorly. Yeah. Don't be like me. Yeah. <laughs> like, Blue pill or red pill? Does it shit on you? Yes. Okay. Box check. Right. Does it bite you? Yes. Check. Are the babies check. difficult to f- to feed? Yeah, yes. the feed check. geckos. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Bad. Okay. Do they look really cool. Yes. Okay. Uh, I yeah, want that. that. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You should have gone left when you went right. Damn. I did. I zigged when I should have zagged. That was my problem. Yeah. We can't Your be, other left. We can't be right yeah. all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, yeah. you you wouldn't know if you. Hadn't have gone down that road. That's correct. Yeah. But now we do. But even still, they're still cool snakes too, man. I mean, oh, yeah. they're gorgeous and they're bright red, and some of them are dark you don't red. Have them at all anymore, right? They're, I do, they're, I do. They're just not here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I'm saying is, yeah. like, they're not at your spot. Oh, they're not here. I make, yeah, okay. I maintain ownership, but I okay. sent them away. <laughs> Somebody else is dealing with them. Who, dude, is apparently that the, loves the most genius the thing? I am. I. I, I Love it. Like you get it the hell I'm out of bored here with these, but I don't Bring want to lose babies. the project. Like, yeah. So. yeah, yeah. You should like, see I'm... how many O's are on the tubs in my. Uh, <laughs> Owen. Owen. Oh, oh, good. Oh, Owen. oh, goody. Exanic Jag. Owen. Yeah. <laughs> should make Owen come skipping through with a gold wig and a skirt and like a little wicker basket for all of them. <laughs> Yeah. Just throw one of your stores, throw one of the shopping carts at ShopRite in the back of the truck. Yeah. This way I can yell around. It, we could even play it like one of those like uh, um, game shows where I have a certain time. You get a certain amount of time to run them through the aisles and answer trivia questions as you go. 
Yeah. yeah. Just what would be great about that is all, your the, hair. all the IJ fans would be like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? You just over all those pins. Oh, oh, wrong rack. <laughs> what is wrong with you? He's an idiot. <laughs> I'll cheat. I'll just unplug. I'll just unplug it. Wheel the whole rack out. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> can he car. do that? Apparently. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. There you go. All right. So uh, yeah, awesome man. Thanks for uh, coming on, and we'll just uh, close it out. And uh, yeah, we'll call it a call it a thing, man. Appreciate so, it as always. You know. Um, thanks. All right. Uh, all right, Owen. Let's do this quick. So. Um, as always, thank you for listening to the show. And uh, we asked that if you want to support us, just please go subscribe. Whatever podcast app you are listening to, uh, listen to us on. Um, yeah, that's it. If you want to uh, access the archives going back to 2011, then you need to go to Blog Talk um, Radio slash Morelia Python Radio. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and uh, our uh, group is on um, uh, Morelia Pick of the Week on Facebook. Um, and you can check out our website at moreliapythonradio.net. Store. That's the <laughs> next one. Oh, yeah. he loves to push the store. Of course, he's done nothing with it this whole COVID. But you didn't send me the login yet. yet. Send me the login and I will do shit. Damn I it. I made you an admin. You don't you didn't send me the login. Like, oh, I don't okay. even know what the All login right. That's what I need. I thought you created your own. Okay, my fault. I don't, my apologies. I, I will, I will I send it to remember. you. Email would be info at moreliapythonradio.com. If you, you know, I don't know, you want to send me Owen memes or whatever you want to do, you no, know, no, feel don't free. Do Please, God. No. <laughs> um, and if you want to support the show, another way is uh, get some of our swag. So um, the NPR store uh, over on Teespring. Um, you can uh, go over and uh, get uh, old Carpet Fest uh, logo shirts, uh, our logo shirt, Owen's, mine, Riley's Australian Bushfire shirt is still up there if you want to. Uh, nice. You know, yeah. Um, so, uh, so there's all that. So, um, yeah, for myself, uh, yeah, just follow me under E.B. Morelia, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all that fun stuff. My website, ebmorelia.com. And my email is eric at ebmorelia.com. And yes, I keep getting messages about, am I going to Burke the IJ stuff this year? He will. He will. I will not. I'm no, not. whatever he's telling you, it's a lie. So no. I have my whole <laughs> really? decks picked out. The whole red jag clutch is going except for my pulled out. That's the tiger. Oh, the tiger. Okay. Um, but that's not IJ stuff. That's coastal and stuff. And all the gelatins. They're going to go, mm -hmm. um, except for I picked out one, and uh, yeah. And you're going to hold the lightning. Well, yeah, nobody gets that. Yeah. Nobody gets that one. Yeah. Yeah. So he's burking a few things. It's I hard. only have one baby. So, <laughs> so I mean, it makes the You burked easy. that entire clutch. It's only one animal. Yes, it's only one made it, so yeah. So. That's it for me. All right. Uh, for me, you can go to rogue-reptiles.com. Um, you can also look up Facebook at Rogue Reptiles and on Instagram at Rogue underscore Reptiles. As far as the contest, keep your eyes peeled. That is going to go live August 1st. Um, and so make sure you get your cameras ready for the calendar competition. Uh, I will be figuring out the whole store thing and uploading a couple things onto that. So uh, keep your eyes peeled for announcements there as well. So we'll say thank you all for listening, and we'll catch everybody back here next week for some more Morelia Python Radio. Good night.